Papa say you learn how to swim if he throw you in. Holding the pen, they got me blending with ink and fins. I'm holding that lens close cause I spoke through my sins. I told myself I'm holding my chin and where ocean began. Conscience kept poking to make amends and it finally tore my flesh when they couldn't get in. Morphine running through my veins, I just wanted to win. More keys opening the ways to love what's within. More keys opening the ways. Tries to the blaze on my shitty old ways. It's that soul tap, but it hit different on the page. Since I own that, it's gonna hit different on the stage. Got my own back, learning never trip on no dismay. Cause my dome raps ain't different than display. Picking up the pace, got me living on display. This pen and need for capital turn living to a race. I erase all these shackles in my daydreams and escape. Look, I said, please don't weigh me down. Getting through these waters with my other hand. I said, you can't weigh me down. I can get this dream off if my mother can. I said, please don't weigh me down. Get through these waters with my other hand. I said, you can't weigh me down. I can get this dream off if my mother can. And we are back. Quentin, this week we are the Forbidden Dorks. Uh, how you doing tonight? I'm... I'm great, man. Honestly, I'm. I feel. I feel pretty good. Uh, Twitter has been annoying, but that's always Twitter. But otherwise, I feel. Of course. I feel. I feel pretty good. I like. I, I like the wrestling that I watched. Um, I'm excited about things that are coming up that we'll talk about on this show. And yeah, uh, other than just like stupid people being stupid on Twitter, which is the, which is the usual thing. Just regular. Just regular as usual. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. There's a uh, honestly, there's plenty to like, especially with the shows that we're gonna talk about. There was actually a ton of good wrestling on there. Um, I I know that there's gonna be a little bit of a disagreement, not much, but uh, maybe a maybe a slight one here. Um, uh, on something that we're gonna talk about here down the line on the show, but uh, otherwise, yeah, and we got uh got something to look forward to coming up this weekend. Um. Uh, a rematch from a match of the year contender last year, Nicole Matthews versus Daniel Makabe. Round two is happening this Sunday. So, oh, is it? Again, wrestling is is looking up, right? Everything is uh, everything's looking up. Yeah, they're doing a, a rematch. I'm not sure where, but uh, uh, but they're uh, you know, they got that to look forward to. Um, I think Kevin that yeah, Kevin Koo has a match with Brian Keith and Biff Busick planned for this weekend too. So tons of uh tons of stuff to look forward to but quentin you're talking about twitter being annoying and uh <laughs> this was uh your topic or or you reminded me of it uh let's talk about twitter being annoying so let's uh let's get into this uh so i don't know if people have seen but people have seen that WWE the WWE is going to be running a major event in the uk for the first time in forever i think they're in cardiff then they're running a bit then they're running a big arena in wales and yeah it's a big thing and of course, they couldn't just run it, and then out, and then that was it. There has to be this whole big media storm behind it, and a, a sentiment that I've seen shared by a couple of verified check bootlickers is, "Why can't we all be positive about it? I want to support Brit Rest. Why can't everyone just be positive and support Brit Rest, as if we aren't even two years removed?" from most of the scene being outed as having some kind of connection to sexual, to sexual predators uh, and just all, all types, all types of general misconduct. I don't know. 
I remember we ranted about this a couple of different times, but I still don't understand why people act like this. And I know why people act like this because they're assholes and they only think of themselves and let me enjoy my slop ass wrestling. But to look at the demise of Brit Rest as, oh my God, I can't believe you guys turned your back on Brit Rest and not, hey, the scene was a was a to- was a toxic pile of shit. This thing deserved to die is a thing that I do not get. A sentiment I will never understand. A sentiment I think is extremely, extremely selfish and one-sided and the mark of a awful, terrible human being who I would never want to interact with on a regular basis. And that might sound strong, but if you know why the why the why the European wrestling scene fell apart the way it, that it did. How can you get on Twitter and fix, your, and fix yourself to say something about why can't we all be positive about it? So before before I go get too deep into it, uh, Tim, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I uh, I'll give a, a goofus and gallant uh, the 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 pro and the and the negative when we talk about this on our network. Just before this episode, if you're if you haven't listened to it, there's a desert island comp comp with uh with Jamesy and and Sam and Jamesy talks about WXW and OTT, um, and directly talks about all of the emotions and the issues that come with that and being comfortable with getting back into Brit Rest and even just being comfortable talking about memories of matches that don't involve anyone who has been you know, accused of anything particularly insanely credible. I think one of the matches had Tyler Bate, and I think there's, like, some, you know, Tyler Bate involved or, you know, friend nearby, a witness to some things, whatever you want to say. Um, but nothing nothing too bad directly on him. But either way, uh, just the, the trepidation that he had, even talking about his memories of going to live shows and seeing wrestling, um, you know, and that it's still being important to him even though all of the negative and then the other side of it i don't know if you've seen this <clears throat> i know you're not a podcast freak like i am you actually listen to music um uh but there's a new euro graps wrestling podcast on voices of network wrestling on uh, podcast network that started you know a little while ago it's not weekly i think they do he does a show maybe every two weeks or every month um and I was like, I'll give it a chance. This guy's interesting. He's doing it by himself. I'll always give somebody a chance if they're, you know, doing that kind of thing. Um, and uh, for a while, he was pretty good, being a little bit like trepidatious. And now it's just full bore, like acting as if nothing happened, <laughs> and talking about progress and talking about wrestlers who were accused of things and all this and that. And just really, I mean, I guess it's hard to say like, oh, every episode you should reference that stuff, but you kind of have to, unfortunately. Yeah, that's just like, that's, like just, think... that's just how severe it was. Like, yeah, like, like, like sad. Like, the sad truth is that that's just how serious it was because, like, if you can't talk about, sorry, if we're gonna mention a few names here, but like, you can't talk about like the history of Brit Rest without mentioning Jimmy Jimmy Havoc, and you shouldn't mention Jimmy Havoc without what he had going on, like. Have, right. Like you have to like you have to mention that stuff. I feel like that's just that's just a responsible thing to do. And of like said on this platform before that I feel like at least personally, like at least like and I've said this on Psychology is Dead, other places. To like for me, I also I often feel like if I'm not directly like putting money in that person's pocket, I feel like 
by buying their merch, doing whatever, then like for me, I have like at least a little bit of separation from uh, whatever they're doing. If I'm if if I happen to watch their matches, I feel like I, I like at least to me, I'm like okay, maybe I'm not doing the worst, like the worst, least least ethical uh, consumption of wrestling possible. If I'm like not buying anyone's merch, not doing anything, pirating everything, doing whatever, I'm not supporting anybody. But at the end of the day, as podcasters, and I think that's something that like we deal with, or everyone, anyone that deals with, well, that's me and you that care about these things deal with, is that when we come on here, we're still kind of platforming these people and talking about how good they were or how good they are in some kind of way. And I was making it seem like, oh, like people should go watch this or that, uh, including whatever, including whatever person. And again, like I think it's just the responsible thing to do to just. I'm sorry. You have to acknowledge it. It happened. You can't act like these are just like petty things. These are things that really happen to people, and these are fucked up things that happen from the big to the small in the scene. It happened. It went from Jimmy Havoc all the way to people that you know, uh, like that that were like known and around, but still have never been heard from again. And they weren't even as big as say like a Jack Sexsmith, like. These th- like that's how deep this thing these thing these things run, and I don't know like I don't know man this is it's it's a, it's a tough thing I guess man it's, it's well, yeah it is a tough thing and it is it's it's the it's people you know caping and covering for these things under the guise of you know again I I'll reference a Jamesy tweet I just saw the toxic positivity and saying oh you know why do you have to shit on everything let's talk about the positive let's and it's just I'm sorry, but that's how you fix things. As they say, you know, the, the, the person who who doesn't learn from the past is doomed to repeat it. Like, to just say, let's just move on and pretend like none of that happened. Okay, I could possibly accept that if we saw any bit of contrition and any fix to the to the scene, but we have not. Yeah, do you, have to, mention, wrestling, do, yeah, do you have to mention how many times pro- progress fucked up trying to, yeah, relo- trying to relaunch themselves? It repeatedly and you could say oh they have new ownership so it's okay well okay i need to see the new ownership show me some kind of proof of something before i'm gonna buy into it ott has been on the side of like kind of basically fuck it and the accounts the troll accounts that i've even i got into like fucking fights on and you know me i don't get into a ton of bullshit on twitter i'm not i'm not simon i'm not constantly dunking on people on twitter but uh I got into it with some of them and the accounts are either i don't think they're bots but i think that they're people on the fucking inside of the company I think there are people who are involved in it. I think it's not just psycho fans because of the stance that it seems that OTT takes as being pretty much pro, like, no, we're just going to do whatever we want. No, you know, this is all a bunch of bullshit. And I mean, we know that the owner of the company was right wing as fuck and basically like a kind of a a pseudo Trump guy, even though he's, you know, from Ireland, from stuff that we saw that he would post on his Facebook even before speaking out happened. So you know that the owner of that company is a piece of shit. And then when all this stuff happened, he basically stayed quiet. And then when when it come back, it's like, ah, oh, nothing changed. That's yep. pretty fucking terrible, you know? Again, but this is this thing where people just, why can't we just move on from it? Because no one even fucking apologized. No one was remorseful about it. Well, and even the people that were supposedly remorseful about it, then went, then went and started supporting all their wrestler buddies behind closed doors. You can go through wrestlers, like tweets, all that kind of stuff. You can see people that were supporting Jordan Devlin. You can see people that were supporting Scotty Davis and all the kind of things like 
you could see you could see all that stuff that was out there in the open and people would make these statements about how much they care but they would be secretly in support of their wrestler pals same thing with the promoters like we had a whole thing about progress and like their fake ass transformative justice shit that they were trying to pull and i like it, it still hasn't gotten any better it still hasn't gotten any better because look look Progress at the downsize and like they can't run the ball anymore. They have been sneaky about it, but they took whatever show and they were no longer running the electric ballroom. They were running. They were running. They were running a smaller venue. I'm not sure if they're run, running the dome. Um, like for, for people that aren't familiar with it, it might sound bigger than it actually is. But Tim knows what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. It, like it seems like it seems like they're they seems like they're running that, and that's a. That's an important thing. That's a big thing that's happening. That is a marked change from what progress had been for the last however many years being like at at some point it's like the biggest indie in the world you could argue. And am I like what like am I what I what I sit here and sit here and lie and say that I don't miss like the Brit rest scene for what it was when I could enjoy these things and like I didn't know all the stuff that happened behind behind closed doors and what was really going on with, with these wrestlers' lives, how they were inter- interacting with fans, other wrestlers. And of course, of course, I wish like I could have like I could have that because that was like a pivotal time in my wrestling enjoyment, and I still have like an attachment to those times. But just like Jamesy, just like a bunch of other people, those memories are tainted. And if this scene being burnt to the fucking ground and no longer being what it was at what it was at its peak. If that means people are safer and no longer being preyed upon and abused and, ass- and assault and assaulted and manipulated and groomed, sorry, Brett Russ has to fucking die. Then European wrestling has to fucking die. Then all of this wrestling has to and should die. Then and we're talking about the real lives of actual people that are affected by this fucked up behavior. And I don't care how much you might have liked Progress or Rev Pro shows when they were at their peaks. People got hurt. People are still hurt. People are still recovering from what they went through at these times. And it's so fucking reckless and irresponsible to go on go on Twitter, go on these platforms and talk all this positivity bullshit when we're talking about like the most I don't want to speak like there's wrestling attracts fucked up people. And it's fucked up people all over in a whole bunch of different mediums. There's a bunch of stories we don't know that that are going on in Japan. Mexico, even in the U.S. Indies, we've had a bunch of people get called getting in during speaking yeah. out, but it, but it didn't reach the same level as it did with the European wrestling scene. But we are talking about a scene that everybody got called out during this during this point in time. That's the indicator of a problem, and you can't tell me that this problem is fixed. Nothing about this problem is fixed. So until then, I don't care how long it takes, and I'm sorry that English wrestling and European wrestling had to wait so long in order to get their proper due. It took so it took so long, and you guys are proud of your scene and how far it came, all that stuff. I'm sorry. But if that means people could be safer potentially, because they're because this scene is no long no longer has the power that it once had, that is objectively a good thing. And if you disagree because you miss your fucking super strong style 16 tournaments and going to progress is terrible, terrible September shows, then <laughs> you're a bad person. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the UK scene died and was dead for so fucking long just because, you know, ITV canceled it from television, right? Basically, there was, like, nothing for all that time because of that. Like, can we not have it die and be gone for something that actually matters? Rather than just, like, it got canceled off of TV? Like, I'm sorry, but, like, this is actually important, so maybe you can accept it. You went fucking years without a wrestling scene in the UK. I know that you were very excited, and, and it was super great. I mean, fuck, I live in Southern California. We don't have a wrestling scene. We, we're starting to, like, kind of have something decent. Um, but forever, there was nothing out here but PWG, right? <laughs> like, deal with it. We talk to, we have friends, and we talk to people in the Pacific Northwest. They barely have a scene, you know? And you just accept it. <laughs> like, it's not like, oh, okay, let's just, uh, let's just say it's fine that there's all this fucking, you know terrible shit going on because we really want there to be a wrestling scene here I'm, I'm sorry like but whatever fine do it enjoy it but don't fucking tell me that i can't say that it's bullshit don't tell me you know oh it's bad faith you know whatever fucking having like psychosomatic fucking just taking out your aggressions on will osprey because you can't just objectively rate his matches or some shit like that the kind of things that even i see if will isn't the worst of the worst which I think that but even, still. like... Yeah, still. Like, even if Will isn't the worst of the worst. Fuck him, though. <laughs> yeah. Like, even, like even if he, Yeah, like, even if he isn't. I'm sorry that you like these wrestlers and that you would like people to not talk badly about these wrestlers that you like. But these wrestlers also don't know you and don't give a fuck about you. You are being a weirdo. Objectively. Objectively yeah. speaking. You're the weird one. If you're upset that people don't like a wrestler... Because his first reaction when a woman was saying that she got sexually assaulted by one of his friends was to defame her on Twitter. Right. You are the weirdo if you have a problem with that. Plain and simple. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't like it, but I accept even the natural instinct to say, that's my friend. I don't believe th that he would do that. But Will had to take it to, yeah, like you said, defame, blackball, try to hurt her career. Rather than you can leave it be. If you really don't believe it, just say you don't believe matter it. Matter of fact, let's, and not, even, leave let's, it not, be. let's not even do that. When we talked about when, when, when we had this stuff going on, me and you did an episode where we pretty much did come on and say, hey, the, the, the NIC dudes like pretty much told us what the whole story was. Right. And even if it didn't involve Will. Here's what here's like here's all this other background information that would that would explain X Y and Z. We so we even like look at least me and you here want to want that extra bit to give a little bit of I don't want to say fairness but context to what was to what was going on at that time. Still, right. didn't help that he that he never that he never went back on those words and never like went back to apologize publicly to Pollyanna for everything that he had a part in, like had a hand in her in uh and what happened in her career. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking <laughs> it's terrible. And I mean, I don't know, to pivot, the other side of it too is that like the people who aren't touched by speaking out, most of them and the faces of the Brit Rest scene that's still exist are fucking cowards that kowtowed and signed to the wwe and are carny as fuck and did all of this you know it's 
It's like, and who knows how many of them turned a blind eye to their friends who were doing all the fucking bullshit on top of the fact that, like, they talked all this fucking game, indie, being part of fucking, you know, defend indie wrestling, saying I'm never going to leave Germany, and then now you're on fucking Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or whatever playing some bullshit character just completely. And it's like, I mean, fuck, does that not make you realize, again, the people who are trying to defend all of your UK Brit rest friends because they shared pints with you at the bar, that these motherfuckers were lying through their teeth to you the entire time. They didn't give a fuck about you in the UK wrestling scene. They didn't give a fuck about you. They were trying to just make their career, and that's great. Good for them. But don't. that doesn't mean that you have to fucking buy into them. It's fucking sick. It's really sick, the parasocial... Like, the parasocial relationship concept has really, like, sprouted over the past few years in, like, mainstream media, but the parasocial relationship to pro wrestling is so much... I think so much bigger and so much worse than anything else. It's... Yeah, because like wrestlers yeah. aren't like, at least on this level, they're not like real celebrities, right? So like, there's right. still a, there's, so, there's still a level of accessibility to them, and that was one of the issues that I think like led to everything that happened during speaking out is this level of accessibility and connection and hanging out that was go- that was going on that was going on with the with these wrestlers, and it's yeah, it's. I don't understand the, the the idea that I watch someone wrestle, so I want to be their friend. I don't right. under, I don't, I don't get that. Like a paras- parasocial relationships are real and they should be valued. Like what we have right here is like a parasocial relationship, and like it's like like and like that speaks to like like all of us that we've like interacted interacted with through on online and Twitter and everything. Like we have had like real friends and relationships that we have with people and that's great and there's value in like the internet and how it connects people but there is also this part of the internet where because you like what somebody does you feel the need to justify every single thing that they might be a part of or that this community that you love so much might be a part of that i love this thing so much that if there's even any semblance of an attack towards it, it's an attack on me. And that's not healthy. That's not an okay. That's not okay. That's not a normal way to view things. And people really should be taking a step back because if you can sit here and hear the stories that have come out in the last couple of years about promoters, wrestlers, referees, all types of people associated with British independent wrestling, and your first reaction is, oh, my poor scene. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's tough cuz yeah, I, I, going to wrestling was fun. Like I I I love just going to live events and having it not be anything but just that. And like I mean, I think that's part of what helped me. Like I think I went and hung out with like, you know, the cool guy crew after PWG that went and got Korean barbecue like once. But most of the time it was like when the show left, I took off. You know, because I have work, I have a life, it's a long, it was a long drive for me. And yeah, I wanted to just like go to the show and leave. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not to say I'm like insanely old and was even younger at the time. Um, cause it's been a few years since I even did all that, but like, it's already fucking late. <laughs> it was like time to go home. Like, you know, but these people who want to hang out at the bar, buy drinks, hang out with the wrestlers and then turn that into like, uh, like it turns into bullshit and it turns into drama and it turns into like 
oh, I, I don't appreciate the show the same because of XYZ. And then the wrestlers have to be on pins and needles or they overstep boundaries and all this. And yeah, like, of course, it was even bigger in the UK scene, right? Obviously. But there was definitely fucked up shit going on in, in Southern California, too. Like, there's definitely stuff that happened behind the scenes that was it's not cool. Um, and it, you know, a lot of it didn't come out as much because, weirdly enough, there's, like, a ton of wrestling fans here that, like, aren't even really on Twitter, you know? So they don't even know about speaking out and that a bunch of people were talking about a bunch of fucked up shit that happened. And, th- like, all the Lucha shows that happened, like, those people fucking maybe they're on facebook right but they're not like on on the same like level when it comes to the rest of social media to where they don't even know that this shit was going on and uh and those stories just stay kind of hidden so yeah i i having a scene and going to shows is cool but that's the part that's like kind of fucked up is you know how many of them like the reason why they're really bummed is that they missed the social side of it yeah that's because the, that was the big thing that, to them yeah, yeah like and we said at the time, it was like it was a thing, like it was like a community. I think that's the thing, even from the outside looking in for us, is you know, me living in Maryland and you living in uh California, respectively, is that it felt like a community, like you could just like see it, whether it was like watching the shows or whether it was looking at everyone interacting on Twitter and everything. It felt like a community there, it felt like real, tangible, like friendships and relationships that mattered, and that's a cool and important thing to have in life. So to have that like an important aspect of that, which is like the going to the wrestling taken from you and taken from you for the reasons why it was taken away, that's fucked up. That's fucked up and it hurts. And I can completely understand why there have been plenty of people that just like never recovered in their wrestling watching because of that. But I, I don't I don't know, man. I just I hate these like blue check reporters coming like coming like coming in on Twitter now and talking about well the the like WWE's coming back to Wales and they're running this big arena so what's wrong with being positive about British wrestling again fuck off weirdo yeah WWE is not the harbinger of like all everything is good and time to come back um that's AEW so let's move on to talking about AEW the good uh, woke billionaire company, the one that we can trust with all the, bil- the billionaire that is dream. the billionaire that is my friend. <laughs> yes, exactly. The, the one who we, I know him from message boards, so he's a good guy. A good guy, uh, trust no, me. But, yeah, no, there is no such thing as a good billionaire. I don't know what me and Quentin have to do to make that clear to you people. In fact, I don't even like the idea of someone who has too many thousands. Million, <laughs> definitely no. If you have, you know, a couple like. One or two too many thousands, and I'm saying, hey, I don't know about this guy, you know. Because um, <laughs> there's just something about having money that makes you a fucked up person. It's it's just true. Yeah. Maybe hey, it's I'm, not the money. What, oh, go ahead. What I say? I wonder what it is about having money that makes everyone uh, so we so bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, huh, maybe it's not the money, but it's having the personality that makes you want to get the money. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> All right. AEW, they are they announced it. It's been online. Everybody's known about it for what like a year at this point. Um you know, it feels like it feels like this story fucking broke like 6 months ago, it's right? The wor- um, it was it's the worst kept secret in wrestling for sure. Yeah. AEW partnering up with New Japan um to put on a show The Forbidden Door. I I don't know about the name. I don't even mind the forbidden door as like phrase as much as most people, but I think it's kind of stupid to call the show that. Um, 
Um, but hey, fuck it. Tanahashi stays winning. This guy is a culture maker. He threw that word out there. I think I even heard someone say it was a mistranslation. Um, but uh, but yeah, Tanahashi <laughs> threw that out there and it took off and became a thing. That is why Tanahashi's the all-time ace. This motherfucker knows marketing. Something he can say on accident uh, can become a, a, a global brand. Um, and uh, did they? I don't think they announced any matches, but they definitely announced... Uh, there's some relationship stuff that they're saying is going to happen. Uh, Quentin, what are you thinking about Forbidden Door? Um, long time coming. I'm glad that we're finally to the point where these two companies can work together. These are There's plenty of matches that we want to see and things that we want to see happen, especially now with the roster that AEW has accumulated over the last couple of years. And we can come on here and criticize uh, New Japan for how stale the company has been, but like if you're telling me I can get a card that has a possibility of featuring like Okada, Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr., Will Ospreay, maybe a, Sh- a Shingo, uh, Ishii, Minoru Suzuki, um, whoever, whoever else you want to throw. Yeah, like, like the, yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the United Empire guys. Like, the whole thing, yeah. Like, if you're telling me that I can like take that and then also take whatever aw guys i want to pick from with their great roster and we're going to make a show like yeah either way i'm going to be excited for it i might not be excited to watch like a whole g1 tour i might not be excited to watch like the latest iwgp title match but if i like something a good novelty thing like this where you get to mix it up and create some fresh matchups hell yeah i'm I'm super interested in this yeah definitely definitely there's a lot of good matchups here um possibilities what's the main what's the main one you would want Okay, I, right like I ha- now. Yeah, I have my answer, but okay. I don't know what I don't know what yours is. Right now, the one that I would be the most excited about, just because of all the buzz and everything that's going on, would be FTR versus the, the United Empire, the tag team champion team. Mm, okay. Cobb and and Okan versus FTR. That would be the one that I'm the most excited about because you've got babyface FTR, who fucking rock as a we've seen as a babyface team. And you've got the best heel tag team in New Japan that can actually fucking go and wrestle but also can get tons of heat. And I just feel like that's the most natural matchup from top-level stars and top-level workers from both companies. Everything else, like, I can see it. I can understand. It's exciting. But it doesn't... It's not as natural. Even something like people are talking about Punk and Okada, Punk and Tanahashi. It's just... It's babyface, babyface no matter what. So it's just, it's not as natural. So that's why to me, that's the one I see as the, the biggest, just most perfect matchup. But what about for you? I think I have one that I definitely want. I want Brian Zach. I feel like that's what makes the most sense right now for Brian. I know that everyone's talking about like, everyone wants to see everyone versus Okada. But for me, I think the one that makes the most sense right now is I would love for Brian versus Zach uh, to be on to be on that Forbidden Door show. That's the that's the main one for me. Um, in uh, in a battle of the uh, of the of the least likable people on on the respective rosters, uh, I think Will versus Darby should probably happen. Uh, I'm not sure that it, I'm not sure that it will happen, but Will versus Darby is something I would like to see happen soon. Yeah, definitely. I honestly, I th- I think that we might end up with something more like Techers versus Blackpool Combat Club, um, which I wouldn't even hate if I'm perfectly honest. But yeah, I just 
I just don't think that we get the Zach versus Brian with you. I don't. I I think if we do end up getting that, it'll be in a G one with Brian in the G one. Yeah. See, like, so this, so this is the thing: is like with the Forbidden Door show, how like we know how New Japan regular shows are. I think that people should probably temp- temper expectations. We might not get like this card full of amazing matches, but at the same time, like they have to like they have to like throw like throw us some kind of bones. So like. I'm trying to figure out what the most likely thing because they can't just try out a bunch of try a bunch of tags out there. Yeah, like like one that stands out to me that I really want to see and was even teased, I guess, on the um, the Japanese commentary is Brian and Shingo. But that feels like that's not a match that you throw on this dream. Car- this this show is a you know dream once in a lifetime special event show that you really don't have to book any big matches for, right? Mm. So. I think something like a Shingo versus Brian is a match that you could actually build as a drawing match. So I think you save that for shows down the, for a show down the line. Yeah. So I do think that a lot of those big kind of matches like that just will, are definitely not going to happen here. Um. So that said, yeah, I think that they'll they'll I think we'll end up with more like something with Blackpool Combat Club, which um I don't know how much more you want to talk about Forbidden Door, but that might transition to the uh, next topic a little bit. Uh, real quick. Um. Yeah. So. Why don't people understand that, like, casual fans aren't a real thing? <laughs> okay, okay. You can't do this, because I literally just tweeted, like, talking the, about people, talking shit about people talking about casual fans is starting to get fucked out. Like, that <laughs> I, that talking point is already, like, be- no, yeah, I mean, of course. There's no fucking such thing as casual wrestling fans. There's no such thing as casual anything fans. Okay? Letterboxd it has made it so that every person is, like, a film buff. There's nobody who's like, I just watch movies every now and then. Even the people who all they watch is bullshit Marvel movies, like, act like, oh, I'm such a big fa- fan of film, you know, and I know all the little details and intricacies. <laughs> with the internet and the, with the with the, the system of, of, the, of the way that we take in media now, there's no such thing as casual fans. They just don't exist. No, there is not a casual fan of anything. The only thing maybe, maybe, someone's a casual fan of is, like, um... Mixed nuts. I'm a, I'm a casual fan of mixed nuts. If there's some there, I'll eat them. They're fine. I don't go crazy for them. But, uh, you know, everything else, no, everyone is just a fucking hardcore fan of. Like, that's it. There's no such thing as casual fans. But yes, I, I'm with you, man. It, needs to, people, it obviously needs to die. But people talking about it, I think, just gives it more power. And you're just extending the fucking uh, the, the, the talking point. point the at moment. some point, we just gotta realize that some people, some of the people are just fucking trolls, right? Like, like but I, no, some of these people are fucking dumb. But this, you know what? Thank you. I'm sorry, Quentin. Go, I was supposed to not ahead, get fired up. Go. I'm getting fired up, and I interrupted you. I apologize. You're but good, yes, man. Go these ahead. people are trolls. No, no, no. Let's finish finish your thought, and then I'll get into what I had to say. Yeah, like, these this, people are trolls. At some point, like these guys, these people are trolls, right? Like I remember, like I, I'm like I might I remember when I was getting into like looking at wrestling stuff online and wrestling coverage online one of the first places i ever read wrestling coverage online was bleacher was bleacher report and that had just happens to be where alfred kunawa or big nasty as he was known then was doing work and a lot of bleacher report people didn't really spin that off in the like super successful wrestling wrestling reviewing careers some of them went on to do stuff for voices of wrestling uh and I think that's pretty clear that, like, at least for me, someone has been aware of Big Nasty for a while. That, like, he's a guy that's like pretty clearly clinging on to attention and be and like adopted troll tactics in order to 
cling on to attention. So it's always funny to me when he gets all this engagement. I'm like, yeah, he's saying a dumbass point that like there's probably like some idiot out there that actually believes it. But I know for a fact that this dude is a weirdo troll. Yeah. No, Big Nasty, though, he deserves some credit for, like, you know, exploring and expanding the art form of, like, AEW hate trolling. Because this guy, like, the the stuff that he does, it's immaculate. Some of the stuff that he comes up with, you have to have a very special brain to just come up with the most outlandishly bad faith bullshit arguments just to, like, talk shit about AEW. I, I gotta, you gotta tip your hat at, at Big Nasty for that. Um, it's, it is unfortunate for the rubes who buy into it and don't realize it. It's kind of like the cornet thing where you're like, God damn, these motherfuckers who like listen to this person who's doing this as a bit to just get attention and make money and turn that into their personality. That shit's fucking sad, man. Um, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta rant, you gotta rant to get to a, mi- a little mini one a mini one. Here's the thing about the, the, the people who talk about the casual fan. It's fucking outdated is what I think it is, and it makes me think of something that's really... I've brought this up before, but really fucking crosses my mind about how outdated... And then when you dig into it, how fucking just stupid it is, is the ratings talk. Ratings, ratings, ratings. Constantly talking about ratings. And not and I don't even just mean wrestling. Like, obviously, the ratings talk, when it co- then comes into wrestling, is really fucking stupid, and it's a waste of time, and I understand it's a business, but, like, that's a separate thing. It's weird to me. Like, WrestleNomics existing is... is good for them and that's entertaining but i don't understand why every person who's a fan of wrestling or talks about wrestling in any way acts like they have to uh like break down the business side of things when it comes to ratings the other business draw fans blah blah blah. i'll give you something on that but the ratings specifically that you have to break down the ratings to be like to be able to consider yourself a serious, you know, connoisseur of wrestling. You have to be like, fluent in ratings ease. When when you talk about ratings and when they break the stuff down, the shit that influences ratings is so it just it's a mirror into the psyche of how just chaotically idiotic the American person the human is. The people who are watching cable television, the fact that like a huge, a, a huge part of like bumping up the ratings is the lead-in, you know. And you understand that what that means is that like these are people who are just sitting there with the TV on, and when one show ends and goes into the next one, they just leave it on for a while, maybe. Tell me that that's the engaged fan's opinion that you really care about. Tell me that that person's opinion of things is important, or like you know they talk about like um. Like people, like time changes, people flipping over, like passively viewing these, the people who care about that person and just how insanely stupid they are. Um, and that they're just like, I just leave the TV on and whatever comes on, I just happen to watch, you know, like I forgot what time the show was on and I came back, you know, I just left it on. I just left the channel on while I was doing something else. Those are the casual fans. They're not even fans. (laughs) They're just they're just casual people. They're just people who have a television on. Is what you really mean? They're, and just, they're, just, they're just people. They're just, they're just people who happen to exist. Yeah, they're just passively like in the same room as a television, and that's the people that you're courting. But they refer to them as casual fans, and that's where the myth of the casual fan has come from. Is the the like I said the chaotic and stupid stupid nature of measuring television ratings has created this like figment of people's imagination that is the casual wrestling fan. It doesn't exist. It probably never existed. 
it's just someone who happens to have a television and does not really take the time to, to I guess, change the channels. That's, I mean, that is not the fucking pinnacle of the person that you should be trying to attract to your television show. So, yeah, I just, I think that that shit drives me crazy. Like, doing the, the overruns. They say, like, the overrun's a big deal because people, you know, flip the channel and then if your show's still on during the overrun, it bumps up your rating. Like, these tricks and these traps and these, like, weird gaming the system things that you do to get, like, random eyeballs on your show who don't care. They don't want to be watching it. It doesn't matter to them. But you use these numbers to, like, puff up something to advertisers. And this is the, you know, this is the coveted casual fan. It's just, it's idiotic. It's, it's, it comes from a bygone era when, like, the American economy was, like, really bumping and we could just, like, lie and say this kind of bullshit and people just took it at face value. But as you're able to, like, drill down the, the, the actual numbers on this stuff, it's coming out more and more that this is all complete bullshit and none of it matters. Um, so yeah, that's a, that was the thing that I, that I got, got under my, under my skin the other day when I was thinking about ratings and ratings are just so fucking stupid. It's just the dumbest measure ever. Yeah. So, uh, um, let's, uh, (laughs) moving on, I guess. Um, I was going to say, as we're talking about the likelihood of that, we'll get something like a Blackpool combat club, uh, match on the hidden door. Uh, let's talk about the current wrestler of the year, John Moxley. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, he he has the match of the year. He has a ton of other great matches, including two that you just watched. Um, you haven't even seen the Blackpool Combat Club trios matches. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those yet. Okay, they fucking awesome. These guys have, I mean, it's shocking, right, that the, these three would come together and be so good, but oh my god. They've come together and they are an amazing trio. Um, I think that when they're going to, you know, develop these trios belts that Tony Khan has talked about, he's kind of teased, like, oh, you know, he's waiting to bring them back for Kenny Omega, I think. I feel like that's way too obvious, and uh, and he wouldn't be saying stuff like that out in the open if that's what he's really going to do. And I think that we end up with trios belts, but they go to the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, I think that that's what makes the most sense, and they're already building them up now as the top, most dominant trio, and uh, and just awesome. But, as I said, the... Uh, the thing that you watched, <laughs> John Moxley versus Wheeler Yuta. Quentin, let's uh, let's talk about this. We're a couple weeks removed at this point. Um, what did you think about this one? Yeah, I'm only getting around to it uh, tonight. But yeah, it's not. My, it might not be my match of the year, but man, I adore this thing. I think it's the AW is it's hard. They, they have the best laid out matches in wrestling at this point, and like when they hit on a on a on a match layout, they absolutely crush it. I think it's uh, something that we've seen with the Brian and Hangman matches. We saw it with the CM Punk and MJF match on TV, and I think it's another thing here. They nail the way they structure these matches sometimes. Coming in hot, Wheeler doing the dive, like doing the tope, and them fighting out into the crowd, and Wheeler really taking it to Moxley. And the way it transitions into Moxley working over Bloody Yuta and him getting in enough shine and offense mostly it being mostly it being about his resilience and his heart and his guts and him willing to go to dark places in order to get a win and doing this the, the scratching the back and biting after Moxley but him it was a perfect it was a perfect layout it was a perfect way of giving someone all the shine in the world but not giving too much and giving him room to grow for the future it was phenomenal so well laid out so well booked so well executed Willer Yuta has like He's he's incredible. 
the fact that he was able he's able to go do something like this and we also we talked about him a couple of weeks ago and how we'd like to see him work as a heel a la how he was with in his IWTV title reign the range that he has is special and again I still don't know what you what Willie Yuta's ceiling is in AEW but this is a really really good indicator of what he could be because you see how 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 much the crowd got into him, and we see like really strong babyface potential. But we've also seen how much of a dick heel Wheeler Yuta can be, and I'm I'm really excited to see what he could what, what he could turn into. And Moxie has just been phenomenal all year, and I think it's really between him and CM Punk right now for uh, for Wrestler of the Year, and that's that's a hell of a thing to say, isn't it? That in 2022, the yeah. rest of the year frontrunners are CM Punk and John Moxley. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't imagine this from when they were feuding, you know, in WWE just a few years ago. That uh, that they would be able. Not that that stuff was bad, but you know, for me, it was just not for me. Um, like you know, just because it's, it's WWE, it was good, it was fine, but it's silly and goofy. Um, and now, just completely different animals. Punk, I'd love to get into some Punk talk here because. Watching the Dustin match from last night, which you unfortunately have not seen, I just, I had this weird realization where I'm just like, is, is it just that you get old and you like just start having this certain kind of taste? Because I feel myself being more and more drawn towards the, the CM Punk stuff. And when we had uh, Murder Brian on, where he's talking about how CM Punk is having a kind of match that nobody else is having in AEW, and it's like more old school. Um, it's just it's it's hitting for me and then other i see other people and they're saying like oh it starts out slow i get bored and i'm like no that's when it's just getting good i love it when it starts out slow i love building it like i've always liked that but i'm liking it more and more as as i feel like recently especially and like i don't want to see a ton of spots and that's i mean again we'll talk about this later (laughs) we've got some some spot matches to talk about here in a little bit but uh but yeah, Moxley. Moxley does a similar thing, but even more just violent and aggressive and visceral. Um, and Punk just slowing it down and being a lot more, a lot more plodding. Um, fucking love this stuff. And uh, yeah, these these two. Yuta, I was colder on Yuta's heel run than a lot of people, but so far, what he's showing me here in with this this match in particular, phenomenal. And then the stuff after this has been really good. I'm hoping that we do get more like that heel, like bully iw iwtv champion is what he does with the pure title in roh and then continues being the young boy in aew um i think that that could be a really good dichotomy to show off uh the different abilities of uh of yuda um so let's follow this up (laughs) with a i won't say a letdown but uh definitely not to the same caliber which is kind of funny because it's a main event match it's a wrestler that tons of people say is the you know wrestler of the year, wrestler of the decade, greatest of all time. Uh, John Moxley versus Will Ospreay. In uh, I don't know, is this a uh, <laughs> is this a Chicago street fight? <laughs> it feels like it. I think it's just a regular match. Um, uh, but, I don't know. <laughs> right, but uh, but they fucking go at it. They've got all the hoopla involved, tables. Uh, they're fighting, brawling through the crowd before I think before the match technically starts. Um, there's tons of blood from Moxley, uh, a little bit of blood from uh, Osprey. Um, violence, aggression, and uh, and I thought that uh, obviously Moxley is the fucking man, but Will was fine at points. Um, he, I could tell 
that he was uncomfortable by some real subtle stuff that he was doing. But you could also, he was gritting his teeth and, and going through it and trying really hard to play off that he was into it and he was in his element when it started getting really bloody and vicious. Um, he was trying to play it off like he was in it. But I could just, you could just, I hate to say it because <laughs> it's not uh, the, you know, the right way to talk. But there's something about Osprey that just at his core is a little bit soft. And him trying to play a hard man with no, without just showing that he is that way, doesn't really work. Um, and these two standing toe to toe, he doesn't look out of place now. I mean, fuck, Osprey doesn't look small compared to Moxley. He looks at the same size. Yeah. He looks believable as a heavyweight. He looks believable in there against Moxley. Well, it's, for the well, most part. well it's like, what's Will really doing to do in terms of in terms of the realms of physicality? Like, there's a lot of things about Will that a lot of wrestlers won't do. Like, the way Will bums at his like status in the, in, in the wrestling world right now, most sure. wrestlers at Will's status wouldn't do that. Will takes insane bumps. Will does hit hard like he does, but at the same time, it's like, like I don't know, man. Like it's it's a weird thing where Will doesn't really come across for like in in certain ways, like as like this gritty, like as this like gritty wrestler, but like. When you also when you watch Will, it's like yeah, like a guy that's like a former IWGP champion and one of the like biggest independent wrestlers of like um, that that his uh, region had ever seen and all this stuff doesn't have to still bump like this all these years later and he still does, but then he still does kind of feel soft sometimes. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't necessarily even think that he he isn't soft, but he just has the natural inclinations. I don't know how to say it. He has the natural inclinations of a coward, even though he pushes himself through it. He really, he pushes himself through it. He tries really hard to not be, he exudes the personality. And I think that it works for enough people. I think that there are plenty of people who like they, 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 they just buy into what he sells without really seeing that underneath it. He's not, that's not him. He's not that guy. You know, and like the the posh dickhead, self-centered prick heel stuff works really well for him because that feels natural. But getting in there and bleeding with Moxley, not only does he not bleed, I mean he cuts he he cuts himself, but it's not it's not the same level of fucking just visceral blood that you get from Moxley, and it's not you know it's not there. But like he looks uncomfortable. He's trying, like I said, he tries to put it over the top. He rubs, he rubs the blood on himself. He, he even bites into the cut, but there's times where I can just see his natural inclination as he flinches at the blood. When he, when he interacts with it at certain points, it, he has a natural, he can't help it. His reaction on like a primal level is like, he just feels uncomfortable and like, that's fine. That's fine. He, that's just how people are. But it's kind of tough to like to 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 try to just paper over it, you know, because it doesn't it doesn't work. And uh, yeah, so that was that was that. I mean, the match itself is, I, I think, pretty good. Keep it mostly simple. Nothing looks fucking terrible, which is honestly kind of saying something because there's been tons of times where Mo- where Osprey like striking battles and stuff like that, I think, can look really fucking stupid. There's nothing in here that looks too bad except for the hidden blade to the face. Um, I think the final one, I just did not think it looked great. Um, 
And, uh, you know, whatever. That could be because uh, Osprey didn't want to get his white uh, elbow pad all dirty. Um, again, this just goes back to being prissy. Or maybe he's just trying to take care of Moxley. But I don't think Moxley is asking you to take it light, right? It just it did not look like it really connected. Um, and it looked like he was going, like, you know, a quarter speed. Um, and for you, it's probably pretty tough, like you said, because you watched the Yuta match and then this right afterwards. And yeah. just, they yeah. don't compare. <laughs> so, it's a good okay, match. Let's like get your like thoughts. It's still a good match. Like, I liked it. I still, I think it delivers in a different way as to where like the Mox Yuta was clearly trying to make Yuta and it's like perfectly laid out and structured and both those guys deliver in those roles for, hey, this is a match people like look at and they might not be, they might not think much, of, they might not think much of it on paper, but we're going to go out there and we're going to set this up in a way where Will or Yuta is going to be a household name after this match is over. It's a completely different set of goals. So they work it differently, more intensely, and they nail that goal. And that just might, and that just happens to be a match archetype that I'm probably a little bit more interested in. This is big dream match kind of stuff. Oxley, Moxley versus Osprey, first time ever, all this stuff. And I think they're trying to give the crowd this big spectacle. But I think in trying that, at least for me, I think the live audience probably loved it. But it didn't really translate on camera as well, I don't think. I think that like I've we've seen we saw we saw Moxley in the G one we've seen Moxley have good matches without blood we know that Moxley can just have a really good regular pro wrestling match and I would have liked to see what that would have looked like with Will Ospreay I understand Will being like oh this is John Moxley I want to quote unquote go crazy and be the fucking Joker and Jokerify myself somehow and like I want to be a tough guy and go fight John Moxley in the crowd and all that shit. I, I just would have would have probably liked to see like them have a straight up regular match. And I feel like that would have been better. But this is this was still good though. Yeah, I uh I think I'm with you on that. Um I think, you know, there's the whole, you know, story from every time uh Dave Meltzer has ever talked about an Osprey versus Zack Saber Jr. match, he Talks about how, you know, uh, Osprey can do all the stuff that Zack Sabre Jr. can do on the mat. He just, uh, you know, he likes to high fly and stuff. So that's why he just doesn't do it. Yeah, he just, uh, but then when he wrestles Sabre, then he does it. And if you watch, if you really watch, I mean, uh, with Sabre, Osprey can do all. It's like, huh, that's funny because I, I, I seem to always remember the story of like William Regal can get in there with anybody and in, in wrestle and say, hold on. And then he makes them look like they know how to wrestle. It's weird that, uh, you know, Osprey just really can wrestle super good, but he only seems to do it when he's in there with Sabre. I wonder, hmm, I wonder if those you things could, are related could, at you all. Be, you couldn't be implying that, like, Zack Sabre huh. Jr. Is, is, good, is, is as good as William Regal. <laughs> William Regal. <laughs> Jesus, I, I, I dare, I shan't. Uh, no, but yeah, it's, just, it's always very funny that he says that. Because, yeah, if he had gone in here and done, like, a a fucking wild ass just MMA kind of more MMA style brawl like that's more what Moxley was doing when he first got back on the indies and with the G1 and we even talked about it when he was doing Bloodsport is like he was a little bit wilder and he's a little bit more of a brawler but he was definitely doing a lot more MMA inspired kind of thing like early UFC style kind of fights um and now now it's getting way more into blood and guts and and that whole thing and it's still it's still he's definitely still a lot more grounded than let's say even like a WWE wrestler would be, um, or that he was in WWE and even like a lot less of like the deathmatch wrestler that he was before. 
Um, but he's not putting as much effort into like being really technically interesting on his mat wrestling like he was early on. Um, so yeah, something like that with Osprey would be cool. But again, I don't think Osprey could hang, and I don't think that Moxley could really carry him in something like that. Um, that said, what do you think about the fucked up finish? Like, is this just part of the Osprey character? Um, because it feels like it is. If it is, I really don't like it. I don't think that Osprey is really pulling this off well. I think that he's trying really hard to come up with these weird finishes because he's trying to be different and unique. And I think that this is a weird road that wrestlers go down sometimes where they're really trying to be, you know, they're trying to be like, I put a lot of thought into my stuff. So they're doing these fucked up finishes as like a storyline. And I just think that it never works. He feels like he's back in his head again. Like, if you remember remember 2016... Um, where I feel like he kind of started getting started getting his head a little bit after um after some of the after some of the New Japan stuff. Um, I think 2016 got a little weird for him towards towards the end towards the end, at least at least I felt like that at the time, and it feels like the same thing of him getting into his head because I still feel like at his core, Osprey has a really good understanding of basics. Like one of the things I pointed out watching this match is like. Oh yeah, Osprey's backbreaker is like amazing. He has an he has an amazing he has an amazing backbreaker. He does certain things extremely well. And at this point, I think Osprey clearly understands how to wrestle, knows how to do his moves, and his moves look great for the most part. And I think he's at that stage now where he's like, "Well, my wrestling is high art, so I'm gonna try to find ways to make it different and more unique and this and that." And like. Sometimes it'll land. I think the OJMO one was probably his best best attempt at this. Um, and I think everything else has pretty much been a little been a little bit more lackluster and confusing as time goes on. And he keeps trying to recreate it and put himself into this different category. It's like, dude, like at least to me, like, dude, well, we already know you're a good wrestler. We know that you're good at what you do. You don't need to keep doing this all over and over again. And making your finishes weird when you could just do the same thing that you've been good at the whole time. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because you know what it kind of reminds me of sometimes is like the... uh, And Brian Danielson has even been doing it um, now in AEW where it's like he's winning matches with a lot of different moves. But it's like that story that you hear like, or oh, he was trying to get over the small package and he was trying to win as much matches as he could with the small package and make that his thing and Mr. Small Package and all that. And I think that people, people hear stuff like that from, you know, the greatest of all time. And the, and that's, this is your first mistake as a wrestler. Okay. If you hear about something that Brian Danielson does and makes it work, don't think that you can like come up with another idea based on that. Like, just, just don't, you're not gonna be able to pull it off like he does, but they hear something like that and they think like, oh, doing unique finishes is like a cool thing. And it is. And there's, there's a history of people who are like particularly good at it. Pat Patterson, right? Considered one of the great finish men of all time because he comes up with unique and interesting finishes, um, and puts them in the right context. But he was kind of well, more well known for that as like an agent and doing it in other people's matches and not just doing a bunch of them in his matches. And the thing about like Danielson coming up with new and unique finishes is that they're all usually standard finishes. He's just using different moves and different ways to get into them. Um, whenever wrestlers try to do this and they get too cutesy, not only does it start to feel repetitive, like it's like, oh, great, you're going to have some like fuck finish. You just keep having weird fucked up finishes. It also just doesn't. 
there's something about it that just doesn't work. It's like it's really hard to come up with new and unique things. It, it really truly is. Your best bet is to keep it pretty standard and just like a minor detail difference. Just tweak things around the edges, but keep the, the basic principles, keep them normal. And I think that's what works. And I just think that no one ever is able to pull this kind of stuff off because they think that they're going to be able to outthink everyone around. And really, they're just outthinking and outworking themselves. Uh, so, yeah, that's my, that's my take on that. All right, so we have two big shows that we're going to review here. And here's my thought, Quentin. Tell me if you agree. There's more stuff on SUP that I actually care about talking about. So I want to run through that. Even though I'd rather have that be more of like the main event or whatever. And then once we're done with that, depending on how much more time we want to go, I don't mind if on West Coast Pro we only talk about like one or two matches. Does that sound good to you? I forgot I was muted. Yes, we can do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, West Coast Pro. Or <laughs> I love that I just did that like a complete bit. All right. West Coast Pro. Um, no. Uh, Sup. Southern Underground Pro. New Direction. Jesse. Uh. Righteous Jesse's last night. I forgot his last name. Either way, um, he's a, I think he's righteous. righteous. I, think he's, I think he's always just going by righteous. righteous Je- yeah. I think he's, he's always just going by righteous Jesse. I think. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I think you're right. I, for some reason, I was thinking he had a different name. Either way, um, last night in the company, it's called New Direction. There's a lot of debuts. There's a lot of, uh, I guess they say, kind of not chalk pick wins. A lot of uh, kind of out of nowhere wins. Um, and uh, clearly the company is, you know, going in a new direction, which is interesting to think about. Uh, opens up. It's funny because they never really get super emotional about it being Righteous Jesse's last night, though. I find that kind of odd. Um, feel, feel, it felt, yeah, it felt very regular. Yeah, like they reference it, but they don't get, the, you know, no one, they didn't do a big send-off, nothing like that. Open it up. Um, AC Mac comes out basically saying, you know, why the fuck am I not on the show? I want a match. You didn't give me anybody. You know, give me a match. Out comes Billy Starks. Um, surprisingly good match, if I'm perfectly honest. Even though I'm higher on these... Yeah, even though I'm higher on these two than most people. Um, I don't have a ton to say on this. I think Billy Starks is now at the level that people pretended like she was three years ago. She's really... She just seems like a wrestler now. She's decent. The look is better. She looks more like like an actual wrestler. She doesn't look like a child. Um, I've always thought Mac was better a wrestler than people give him credit for. This is a go-go-go match, which is what he's best at. And honestly, what Starks is good at. Everything is crisp. Nothing looks too light. Nothing's too cute or unbelievable. They just have a normal, inoffensive match. I gave it two and a half stars. Yeah, I liked it. I thought um, it's, the best I, it's the best I've seen, Billy. <laughs> And yeah, it was nice to kind of get back to like I know that he does does the uh, heel in the north facing the south thing, but I, like it was nice seeing like just regular heel straight up shithead AC Mac again, and just how much better I like him in Sup, and I always felt that way. It's just yeah, for some reason Sup is just where he's so much better at, even compared to Action. I thought he was all, he thought he was so much better in Sup. Uh, in action for the most part and this kind of reminded me of uh another another match that ac had that i think you know gets lost now because this person is no longer is canceled and no longer wrestles but uh, remember that ac versus like logan stunt match oh yeah yeah yeah, so it, yeah. yeah this, this, this kind of like reminded me of that not as brutal obviously because billy isn't getting like fucking clocked over the head with a chair 
no. <laughs> same the same way that Logan that Logan was. But it, but it gave me gave me gave me kind of those same vibes as I think a format and style of match that AC thrives in, and that you know is probably one of his one of his strengths. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Follow this up um, with. <laughs> I said Mox is the wrestler of the year. If Mox is the wrestler of the year, Kevin Koo is looking to become number two, uh, especially having two high, high-level performances on this one fucking show um, and two totally different style of matches. Um, impromptu action wrestling match. Kevin Koo comes out uh, to replace. He's replacing somebody. I forget who was uh, off the show. Cole, Ra- Cole Radrick. Uh, Radrick's off the show, which Radrick and Williams would have been pretty good. Um Basically, this is like a grappling cl- clinic. Uh, Brandon shows off that he's got some quickness, though, by doing like a flip counter to get out of an arm ringer. Um, Koo is aggressive but sloppy. Brandon's a lot more, uh, a lot more, you know, calculated and technically proficient. But uh, obviously, Koo ends up, uh, you know, sh- you know, he shows off some of his striking, but really, this stays primarily a pretty gentlemanly grappling, you know fit or uh, affair overall uh, you could say that brandon takes like some some ankle picks and is is you know risking the guy's leg you know especially they even kind of that's part of the story of the match and the story moving forward is that that coup uh comes out of the match with his leg fucked up um but uh you know and then he's got another match later in the night but really nothing really super breaks down it just kind of stays like a gentleman's kind of fight uh i gave it three and a half stars what did you think about this one yeah, I thought this was really good too. I think that we do we do usually see Koo in like these big bomb fest type matches, even when he is in there with someone like a Daniel Makabe, who is more known for the technically proficient side of side of wrestling. So it was cool to see Koo kind of dive into his waters a little bit more and try out that stuff because it's a side of him that I feel like is kind of unexplored territory that he could be good at. Obviously, he leaves that side of uh side of the ring to Dom, but I like I like seeing him do it, especially if he was going to go out there and have two different matches. Then it was it was smart of him to approach them in completely different ways and save the big bomb fest for uh, the suplex science match. Yeah, I mean, this being the setup match, this being like a storytelling match just to get to the leg injury to help add some drama to the main event, and then also, like you said, he doesn't even show off a ton of what he can do here. He's kind of he's kind of keeping it conservative. It's still like insanely impressive to have such a good quality match again and why i talk about coup like goddamn this guy is set up again for 2022 to have a great year especially with like i mentioned two big matchups that he has this weekend a rematch with brian keith and a first time match with a uh, biff Busick. um post match i do have to just give a big shout out fuck dylan hales for uh saying the sub fans here must be very concerned about the troubles uh because they're into the cranberry song i just uh that popped me and i was like this asshole um follow this up we got uh isaiah bronner going up against uh rbj uh big ron bass jr um simon's favorite wrestler wrestler, ron bass jr actually yes 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 uh quentin what did you think of this one this was this was really good man i liked it i like uh you know there's there's kind of been a void in this style um from sup shows you know now that you've seen kind of like you don't really see manders as often you don't really see o'shea as often so this kind of like big hoss type match that we don't that we don't see anymore on sub shows. It was great. It was great to see this back around. I like I like Ron Bash Jr. I think that he's good. I think he's good for what he is. I think he's fine for what he is, and he's very useful for the spot that he for the spot that he's in. And I think Isaiah Brunner is fucking money. I think 
that's a guy that if people aren't already uh, looking at looking at him as like a potential money making guy, then they for then they for sure they for sure should because he's still a little raw, but you see the talent there. And I thought he worked well with another big guy. And I, I, a lot of those times, I think those kind of magic to be like boring and lumbering and can be sloppy at points. This was great and to the point. And ultimately, I want to see like Isaiah versus smaller guys. And this just gives me faith that when we see Isaiah versus those smaller guys, like his offense is going to look so great once we get some more of that. Yeah, I mean, here he's obviously somewhat toned down on what he can do because of who he's in the ring there with, but he still came across like a hoss. Um, I was thinking he's kind of like a mini hoss, you know, but on the current scene that we're in, he's like still probably could sell it and has the vibe where he probably could stand toe to toe with anybody and be believable. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think he's money. RBJ is an interesting one to me because I like what he does and I, 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 I think he's, like you said, solid for what he's for, but I think he's at a point right now where his mobility isn't, isn't okay for what he's trying to do. And he really, I think needs to pick a lane. Um, and like, he's trying to do a little bit too much that he can't do. And he should either go all the way and be just a brawler type. Um, or he could do some of the like old school kind of roughneck texas cowboy leverage mat work kind of stuff the things that you could think of from like a dick murdoch or, or the funk brothers that kind of stuff where you're not doing pretty you know technical mat scientist stuff but you're kind of just grinding and <laughs> william regal has taken to calling saying strifing uh doing some kind of that kind of vibe of of slowing things down on the mat because unfortunately he can't you know, his, his eyes are bigger than his stomach, or I guess maybe it's the opposite, unfortunately, for RBJ, um, to where he's got these ideas to to do a lot of the kind of, you know, the big man who can move and bump around and, and brawl around and do all that. And he really, unfortunately, can't. Um, he has a couple things that look good, but, yeah, I think he either needs to work on his mobility or he needs to, you know, to just tone it down and just go all just standing and throwing and big bombs or work on some of those, like I said, some old school kind of, texas redneck style mat wrestling um because i love i love that stuff the stuff that i was just talking about dick murdoch funks that that kind of vibe of gritty you know mat wrestling kind of rest guys i fucking love i think i would love to see someone bring in some of that style back um either way follow this up we got chase holiday versus noah hossman um i'll start this off the bat chase holiday needs to pick this is another you need to pick you can't have the ring announcer say you're from anywhere and nowhere by way of Palmdale, California, now residing in Naptown. That's too much. And it just <laughs> no, that's, it screams. Uh, that's a great bit. That's a great bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. That shit is it's too much. And what it t- to me, it smacks of like a backyarder fanboy who's always dreamed of having a cool hometown. So he wants to have all of them. He's just put every hometown, every possible cool hometown thing. But that's, but in, that's, the, point, but that's the point, though. Like, I'm from anywhere. So I'm from. Anywhere, anywhere, nowhere, by anywhere, way of nowhere, Palmdale. Palmdale for me in Naptown. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Maybe I just, in the moment, I just was pissed off, but you're right, you're right. He is a lost boy. Um, either way. Um, Let's kick the ass. I like this a lot. Yeah, yeah, these guys beat the fuck out of each other. Hossman looked really fucking good. I love um, his, I love, I love his act. Yeah, yeah. Um. I, I was not I was shaky on him for a bit and then I've started to really really fucking like what he's doing uh, I think I think uh, he needs to just get a little bit more comfortable 
like mixing in the character stuff throughout the match um just a little bit you know just like sometimes he looks like he's he's too focused in the wrestling and he's dropping the character for for bits of time um meanwhile chase holiday is just like supernatural with his charisma he doesn't have to he doesn't ever feel like he's you know out of character which works uh He's been bulking up, so he's really believable in this. And, and these guys just, like, there's never any moments where it feels fake. It definitely always feels like a fight. But Hossman, I, like I said, I just feel like he needs to uh, he needs to just get completely natural in the character. Um, I don't know if I said last match two stars, this match two and three-quarter star. Uh, yeah. But uh, feel free, any more thoughts you have. Yeah. Um, I think we both really like Chase Holiday here. So the big so the big revela- I guess revelation here would be, would, would be Hossman. I liked him. I like the I like the act. I like how loud he is in the ring. I like the I like the over the top heel like heel shake while also being this big badass bruiser. I thought this was I thought this was really really fun. Um, yeah, if if we're gonna be going in a new direction and stop going forward, I liked everyone that they showed on these shows, but he probably is my favorite one out of the guys out of the well, I guess like the newer guys that got big spots on on this show. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see that. Um, I guess unless you count this next guy as a newer guy, but I don't think so. Um, follow this up, Daniel Makabe versus Hoodfoot. This was uh, the one I was excited for moving or coming into it. I did not disappoint. Quentin, what did you think? Yeah, fucking uh, wow. <laughs> Dan is a really great wrestler, and I'm glad that he got to do something like this venture out of that kind of uh, comfort zone or label that he's uh, typically put in with the style that he works because we've seen him do that kind of thing before. We, we both are very fond of that sprint match that he had with uh, Elliot Tyler back at back in three, two, one, a few years ago. So we know that Dan can cut up, can cut out all the fat and go straight to throwing bombs and can throw in all these different unique match structures and layouts. And I think that he was a perfect guy to try something like that with Hoodfoot. And Hoodfoot, I think I think I think we said it recently. Is like he kind of has like that necro butcher thing going on. Where I want to see Hoodfoot versus anybody. You could tell me Hoodfoot's on a show, and it wouldn't matter. I would want to see that match. You could tell me Hoodfoot versus Masada is happening, and I'm going to see it. And which was okay. The match was fine. <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I, I love that Dan tries to do this, and Hoodfoot even obliges him a little bit. And uh, with the, with the amateur wrestling and typical pro style holes, and it just devolves into this big flat out brawl between, you know, almost felt like watching like like an old like an old UFC fight before there were all these different regulations and in uh, rules and weight classes that were uh, that were that were that were made and by the commission and everything. It felt like watching one of the early UFC shows and watching like Royce Gracie go out there with one of the heavyweights. That's honestly what it felt like to me. And Wrestling doesn't always give me that feeling when they try for like these big man, little man matchups. But because I buy into Dan as such as like such a smart wrestler when he when he has these different attacks and ways in which he's trying to attack Hoodfoot and Hoodfoot, who I believe as his big badass monster brawler who could like club you and you could be down at any moment, he could throw you on your head and you're done at any moment. I love the dynamic between it. I love the structure of it, and it was like as a as a someone that watches a lot of Daniel Makabe matches, it was just cool as hell to see him like not like completely abandon the style that he's known for, but like flip it on his head and throw in all these different unique and smart tricks. 
in order to make it work with someone like Hoodfoot. Are you on mute, Sam? I pressed I pressed mute instead of unmute. <laughs> like I pressed <laughs> mute when I was unmuted. I'm such an idiot. Either way, uh, Hoodfoot has the. Uh, does have this like throwback connection thing like you're saying he's got the necro butcher thing where he's um he's yeah like he's he's this dream match like you just want to see this force of nature in any setting um mix it up out there and make other people deal with him because he's like he's just so unique and, and such a problem but he can stand toe to toe and make basically take anybody into his world but he never feels out of his element no matter where he is and then he's also a harken back, a throwback to, you know, <laughs> Abby, like Abdullah Kobayashi, Abby, you know, obviously his namesake, Abdullah the Butcher, um, you know, the big fat guy deathmatcher, <laughs> which is, I think has kind of been missing. There hasn't been a good, you know, gigantic trunks, fat guy deathmatcher who like just comes across like a legit fucking badass, like, like, uh, Hoodfoot does. And I, I love the nickname of the saucy butcher. Cause like it does play off of the character, Necro Butcher. Abdullah the Butcher, he's kind of got that. He is in that vein of that kind of wrestler. It's it's really like a perfect nickname for the dude to, to harken back to those kind of vibes. Because um, he is also kind of like modern day swag too. Like when you see him, when he's looking like Rick Ross with all of his fucking drip on and shit. He comes um, out the, the fucking March Madness. Like, I love, like, yeah, I, right? like, like I love, like the AJ Gray comes out, the, comes out the, oh, let's do it. But I might prefer Hoodfoot coming out to March Madness. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like it's, yes. Like it's just like it's just like it's just as good. I love I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, we talked about it. I think last week, week before, but uh, Moxley versus Biff is my match of the year. And honestly, I'm at a point with how much I love that match that I don't necessarily know that anything is going to top that. But so, like with that said, this is kind of pole position. This is number two for me. Really? For the year, and I think that any match that's gonna try to you know beat beat this for number two is basically where we're at. Yeah, I fucking love this as a dream match. It's it's the guy who I currently love to watch and root for the most against the guy who's like historically the guy I love to watch and root for the most. And they're going in here and they're just having. I talked about like babyface versus babyface not being like you know the best thing and stuff like that earlier when I talked about like the forbidden door thing. These guys made this work as just a pure dream match. With two guys who nobody has to be a heel. Nobody has to be a babyface. Dan can do his stuff and he can even be a little bit more vicious like he can be at times as a heel. But never really is a heel. Butcher is... Or not Butcher. Hoodfoot is Hoodfoot. Like he never has to be anything but Hoodfoot. I think you just like him no matter what. At one point I'm like watching him come back and I was just thinking like this guy... Hoodfoot I talked about comparing him to like the Butchers. Necro and, and Abdullah but... Also, like, this guy's like a modern Dusty Rhodes. Um, when I think about that Jade tweet that just came up, you know, don't compare black wrestlers. Is it still racist to compare a black wrestler to a white wrestler if the white wrestler was ripping off black wrestlers? <laughs> I think, Am I, I think, not allowed to? I think, I think, I think it'd be racist if you uh, <laughs> didn't compare yeah. with the Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> yes. He he honestly does feel like a modern Dusty Rhodes man. He's the every man. He's the common man. Can you want to buy into him. Can, Wait, can I make it? Can I make it clear? This, this that at least on mine. This is an anti Dusty Rhodes podcast. Can I make that extremely clear? Sure. On mine. This okay. is a this is an anti Dusty Rhodes podcast in every possible way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. I uh, I definitely I get where you're coming from, but uh, you know, Dusty, uh, he was definitely very popular. 
Um, I can't argue with that. <laughs> um, that said, uh, yeah, like opening up the match, <laughs> Dan can't fucking get the, uh, the, the flying drop kick when the person's in the middle of the ropes. Uh, I recall, I think calling this out. So, uh, he's right back on those ways and that just sets up the fucking tone. We're at the end of the match. Uh, he hits three of them in a row right in the middle of the ropes right there. So he, he learned midway through the match, uh, tiger suplex big the biggest unit possible just fucking knocked it out of the park that there was great knee work but in the middle of like starting to go for the knee off of uh hoodfoot like tripping and stumbling in the middle of the the ring uh hoodfoot's trying to stop dan from going for the knee as he's on the mat and dan grabs the arm and stomps the and it was one of the most brutal fucking arm stomp spots that i've ever seen like this just this was fucking raw it was raw it was insane um there was some stuff obviously i didn't love but it still worked and i do know i understand in the venue like i really would have loved for them to have brought something in here that really represented like the deathmatch side of hoodfoot you know what i mean i would have liked them to have done something that really but because where they are they can't do anything super over the top like you're not going to see glass or fire you know in the basement east i just don't think you're allowed to um i would have loved to have like a little something like that so it felt like the compromise was kind of doing the bar fight thing on the floor which is you know obviously a deathmatch trope and a, a necro butcher you know trope um or spot or whatever you want to say but i I've, I've never been a fan of the you know the 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 bar fight spot um, but in the context of this, it did work. So that's, that's even to say, like, I normally really fucking hate that, but I thought like, you know, it was acceptable here if I didn't love it, you know, but I didn't hate it. Um, so yeah, that's at four stars. Like I said, this is my number two right now, match of the year. I think anything that can beat this, this is going to be, you know, in that conversation. I don't think anything's going to beat Mox and, and Biff though for the year. Probably we'll see. Hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, follow this. Hope we got, uh. Adam Priest versus Billy Tipton. Um, decent vet versus new guy kind of match. Um, I felt like Tipton throwing off some power spots was good. Priest kept control, took shortcuts, was a prick, all that stuff. Really engaged, but I did feel like, really engaged okay. crowd, like surprisingly. Yeah. The crowd was into it. I thought Priest did a really good job. Tipton obviously was over and they're into him. Um, I just, there was definitely, there was like a counter. Tipton does a counter. Um, where, where Priest goes to shit can him out one side of the ring and, and, and Tipton spins him around, throws him out the other side. And I just felt like that really undercut the like vet versus rookie kind of dynamic of the match. Um, felt like it could have done without that. Um, there's a weird little spot where Priest like grabs something on Tipton's gear, like a, like it looked like his underwear or something, tucked it back in. It just, I don't know. It would have been a nice little bully spot if it was like something that he was doing, but it was just like a weird little thing. Um, like, yeah, uh, there was, there was a couple good things, but I just felt like, uh, uh, would have liked a little bit more heelishness out of priest here. Felt like he didn't really go over the top. Like he could have even, especially like even on the finish, I think we could have gotten, um, maybe just a little bit better of like a, a cheap heel kind of win. Um, get a little bit, you know, but, but I don't know. I just, uh, I just think it didn't go, uh, it just didn't kind of hit the next gear for me. And, and there was a couple little details here and there where I felt like they, the psychology was a little bit off. Um, but still a lot of fun and a decent match at two and three quarter star, especially cause the crowd, like you said, was super into it. What did you think? 
Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I think that um, I get I got to give a lot of credit to uh, Priest heel work here because I think that while the crowd was super into Tipton because of the theme song and everything, and uh, that made that made for made, that made for the fun dynamic, Priest made sure to really turn up the heelish shit in the match to, in order to keep that engagement. We could for sure like lesser wrestlers would have squandered that and squandered the heat and sympathy that they already have built up just based off based off of that moment. And he was being a prick, being an asshole in a way in which he would like he knew immediately he had to milk that. And I thought he did a great job out of that. And then turned into a great match per se. But I thought it was a really, really good performance from Priest in order to make the most out of that. I think it's you could say that it's just like that's what a wrestler should be doing, but you'd be surprised how many wrestlers like don't understand to do that sometimes. And Tipton, I like I like them, man. Like I said, I want to see all I want to see all these guys back. I think that I trust the booking team at SUP. I trust them in order to like make the most out of their out of their guys. They've been doing that since the beginning. So if he became a regular, I would love to see what they would do with him because I do see something there in terms of crowd crowd engagement and how much the crowd is into him. And if it, even if it's all theme song, they were still interested in him during the course of the match. So I trust the booking team at SUP. I didn't think that Tipton looked amazing, but in their hands with their career, with their creative vision, I will love to see him get bigger spots and get more of a babyface run in the company. I think he could be a pretty big guy for them. Yeah, I can I could definitely see that. And and sub fans, sub the sub crowd has always been pretty forgiving for a nice big boisterous babyface kind of guy, no matter how. Uh, maybe green or, or not, you know, technically proficient they are. They get behind a guy, just a good guy like that. Uh, and like I said, I, I thought Priest had some little detail heel stuff in there, but I just, I would have liked him to turn up the heat at some point and do something that felt a lot more evil. <laughs> you know, some I wanted like some real heel heat stuff and all we really got at the best was like being like a little bit dastardly. I mean, like if this was like... Anthony Henry in that spot, then yeah. But obviously Priest isn't like as good as Anthony Henry. Sure, sure. But Priest can Priest can be good, but he just didn't really get like real, real heat anywhere in this. He just he was doing a lot of like little it just felt like cheap, you know, like cheap little like oh what a what a dickhead kind of stuff, but nothing yeah. that really was like evil, you know. Either way, whatever. Moving on. Uh Dylan McQueen versus Jaden Newman. Um I don't know, Quentin, what did you think of this one? Um Jaden is, it looks like he's gotten better, but I feel like the thing with Jaden is as long as he's not doing something that I feel like isn't in his wheelhouse, I always seem to like him, though. When he's doing things that I feel like aren't his specialty, like trying to strike with people and trying to do stuff like that, I think that exposes Jaden and makes him look second rate. But he came across like a pretty important guy here. Granted, this is like literally from here and he's been there from the he's been there for a long time. So he should feel like an important guy in this company. But it felt like Jaden improved here. He felt like felt a little snappier, felt a little, felt a little quicker than time than times that I've seen him recently. He felt uh, more in control in time in times that I've seen him recently. He's he's always been a confusing guy because he always goes back from babyface and heel pretty constantly with no real consistency, and that can be a good thing because like oh that shows versatility. You can do this, but also when you're a young wrestler like Jaden, that can be you know, detrimental because you're not really figuring out either of these roles yet. And the most I've liked Jaden has usually been as a babyface. 
So I would I would like to see him stick to this here. But for the spot he was in, for you know being a, being a former champion, going up against the the new the new guy the new guy in the company, I thought Jaden did great. You know, obviously he's one of the pillars of SUP as they called him on commentary, but he didn't eat Dylan McQueen up at all. Dylan got a lot of shine. Dylan looked great. I think that Jaden honestly probably was the best guy for Dylan to have gone um, gone up against because of Jaden's style and Jaden can base for things and Jaden's quick too and they can do a lot of like the quick rope running uh, rope running sequences that they did here. And I think that Jaden wound up being the best possible pairing for Dylan and for Dylan in this uh in this circumstance. And I like Dylan's spots. I think Dylan had some really cool spots that um that are kind of basic when you think about them, but it's like, oh, like people haven't done it. Like him stepping up onto this onto the second turnbuckle to do like a fall, like falling away, Samoan drop is like, oh, like that's actually that actually looks pretty cool and looks like it will hurt. I wonder why more people don't do that. And some of the other some of the other stuff he's done. So I like I like Dylan. I like what I saw from him, but I also think that he was probably in there with the best possible guy for his style and what he's good at. It's interesting because I kind of had had my initial reaction was kind of an opposite feeling, which which as you talk about it, I think like maybe I was just wrong and just wasn't noticing it properly because I was kind of like I didn't think of Jaden as being the kind of guy that could that could hold up his end of this match. This kind of match um and that dylan mcqueen ended up being better than i expected so it like kind of helped out for 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 him to be able to uh to you know wrestle like to look good in a match with someone who i thought but as you say that i'm kind of like i think you're right that that Jaden really was a big part of making this match i just i've never thought of Jaden as being able to be a guy who could be the you know the steady hand who's making someone the guy who is like more on like not just trying to get himself over um, but he did do a really good job here. He gave McQueen tons of good looking offense. He made McQueen, he kept, had McQueen keep up with him throughout. He didn't like, you know, eat him up at any points. He really gave it kind of a 50, 50 match. Um, it's funny cause you said former champion and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then I like, I didn't realize Jaden won the Bonestorm title for like a week. Um, I didn't even I didn't see that I I know that Alec Price had won the championship but I didn't even realize uh, that it was like he did like he won it really quickly after Jaden had won it I guess um, I haven't seen the match I have to go back and watch that uh, so yeah I, I I guess I'm checked out a little bit I haven't watched any of that wrestling open stuff I should probably check some of that out because um, that's where he wins the title um, but yeah I I'm with you and. Honestly, I'm like kind of swayed more towards your side of things on that. I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize. And McQueen looked good here, and I think you're right that Jaden is the reason why he looked good here. Uh, I gave the match two and a quarter. Uh, follow this up. We got the main event: tag team titles, Violence is Forever versus Suplex Science. Viv, Violence is Forever. They bring big fight feel more than any act in independent wrestling. Like, when the music hits, and they come out, and they've got all the gold, and just the intensity, and the vibe that they have when they're in the ring for the announcements, it feels like you're in for a big fucking deal. Uh, part of why that works is because they never they never don't deliver. You always get something from them, be it 
them eating up like little fucking guys, be it them going toe to toe with a, you know, a tag team that's their equals, be it like wrestling around having like technical stuff, be it like brawling around the building, like just fucking going nuts. They like, they figure out a way to whoever they're going with to fucking just really show it off. Um, I mean, there's a lot of talk, you know, about the best tag team in the world going on right now and all this stuff, but like, Vons is forever has to be in that conversation, man. They're so fucking good and consistently so fucking good. Um, you know, it's crazy how many of these teams on AEW are calling themselves the, the goats and all this. And like, I don't even know how many of the teams on AEW are as good as Violence is forever at this point, really. Um, let alone like the greatest of all time, but whatever. That's a, that's a conversation maybe for another time. But yeah, like this fucking rules. It was interesting though, cause it felt like Kane was missing for a lot of this match. Um, he was in there for a bit, but really it seemed like most of the match was Tangra. Um, loved the opening with Tangra and Dom mixing it up. Tons of great like double teams and obviously, uh, the, the, just a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of like really cool tag team wrestling, which is why violence is forever so good. But Tangra and Kane have a, they, they haven't had a ton of matches together, but they've definitely, they, they really enjoy being a tag team. Um, so they go out of their way to, uh, to like have some neat spots and some, some really good chemistry with each other. They get along, they restrain together. So it makes sense why they, uh, why they would put some, you know, interesting, you know, spots and stuff like that together. Um, but yeah, wild, crazy action. Like this is, I don't know. This just has everything. Like it's got mat work. It's got bombs. It's got cool tag team moves. It's got big throws. It's got strikes. It's got everything. Um, yeah, three and three quarter star. Like I said, Koo went out here and he had two three star plus matches on the same fucking night, uh, which is a lot for this guy. Big fucking finish. Crowd's going nuts. Uh, Quentin, what did you think of the match? Yeah, I loved it. It was a great, it was a great main event, and I think that now that tag team wrestling is getting back into being like getting like mainstream love again, Bonds Forever is going to fall by the way, wayside because they were holding wrestling. They were kind of they were kind of holding it together uh, back when, you know back before AEW's tag team division really was uh, the hot topic of conversation, and now at this point they are a little underrated. It feels weird to say when when they've won consecutive IWTV Tag Team of the Year title uh, uh, awards, but like they're kind of underrated now. And this was a testament as to how great they are and how good Damian Tangra and Alex Kane have gotten so quickly. Both of these guys being so new, but you like when you see them on a card now, you trust them so much. Like, oh, Tangra and Kane in the main event, I know that's going to kick ass. That's a testament to how much they've grown, but also violence is forever. And that you know when Violence is Forever is on a card and Violence is Forever is in a prominent spot, that they're going to go out there and have a kick-ass match that bangs and it hits hard and they could do a couple different things. They could work. They could, they could have someone get worked over and they could be like these ultimate badass, like badass ass kickers, like on some like road on some road warriors type shit, or like they can go out there and just have these big chaotic tags, or they can work babyface. They can grapple. They can grapple with you. They can throw the bombs. They can do everything. And Vaughn's forever because tag team wrestling has just been the, like the topic of conversation re- recently. Get left out of the conversation. But it's not fair to those guys when they've been holding, uh, when they've been carrying independent tag team wrestling for the last like three years at this point. 
Yeah, no, definitely. They've been basically the only tag team in the American U.S. Indies, and they've been great the entire time. That's why they've got all the titles. That's why they win all the awards. Um, but, you know, it's also, it's not, <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy having to be basically the best fucking tag team and the only real tag team going. Um, meanwhile, you got Kevin Koo breaking out and having these insane singles showings um, as well throughout the years. And uh, and also Dom, you know, unfortunately being out injured and all that. Um, post-match angle, uh, Bronner and, and AC Mack come out. And uh, I think that's actually a good place to go. <laughs> I kind of forgot that AC Mack was the IWTV champion when i got excited like thinking like yeah ac mac and Braun are winning the tag team titles it wouldn't be bad it'd be a good place to go for ac now that he seems like he's been down phased and isn't at the top you know of the picture um but uh yeah we get the promo first dom is calling out price um you know because price is the champion but he's you know gone he's missing um but ac mac is the iwtv champion uh so he's not you know, getting down phased and working in the tag team with Bronner, which I still think would be fun to watch. But, uh, but yeah, I forgot he is the, the IWTV champion and shouldn't be like, they shouldn't be looking for things to do with him, uh, right now. But unfortunately I saw someone actually try to tweet, like, uh, you know, people aren't talking about how great AC Max fucking, uh, title reign has been going and he's been killing it. And I'm like, they're not talking about it. Cause it's not true. Like, I'm sorry, but AC Mack has not been having, like, a we great can, IWTV champion. You can like AC Mack and be happy that he won the title and also not to lie about it. Yeah, like, he's not had a ton of great matches as champion. When The the, the match where he won the title was very good. I'll give you that. Um, the uh, the the match with uh, Monster Slamovich was fine. You know, but other than that, like, he has not had a ton of great matches. It's it's kind of crazy to say that he's been having a killer title reign, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, post-match, all that stuff done. Quentin, any last thoughts on Sup before we move on? Uh, no, just as always, um, I think Sup, when they run, and I understand, like, why they don't run as consistently as other promotions or whatever, but when Sup is up and running, they are the best in the, in the U.S. in terms of watchability. They will have a, a a great match or two on the car, but at, but in general, I like the I like the crowd. The crowd is super engaged all the time. I like the commentary. Dylan is one of the best commentators in wrestling. Might be my favorite commentator in wrestling. And the shows are just generally really watchable and quick, and don't feel like a drag at all. Which I can't which I can't say for most wrestling. Even all, even on wrestling shows that are good, they eventually get to a point where they drag. And Sup throughout their entire existence has never been that way. And coming out of the show this is my main thought like yeah i watched these i watched these sub shows and i never come away like wow finally that was over they they feel they always feel breezy they always feel light and I always come away with something to really to really uh really enjoy and talk about yeah definitely um west coast pro game related uh we will breeze through this really quick and just hit a couple of high high points um, okay can i get a hot take off real quick please would it be ridiculous to think that I thought Masha Samovich had the best performance on the show? Uh, it would not be. It would be. I would probably agree with you. Actually, I thought. Uh, it, I thought it was like really glaring. Yeah, I'm looking at this. I don't, I don't, she isn't in the best match. Um, no, but it was like wow. I think that Masha Samovich on a card that had like all these like all these big names on it. I think Masha was the best wrestler on the card. Yeah, Masha fucking owns. I've been saying it for quite a while, but uh, yeah, she's definitely 
fucking awesome. Um, it was kind of tough because she was even for Masha and how good she is. She was kind of toned down because her her opponent couldn't keep up with her. Um, so that kind of hurt the match overall. And also, like you said, like amazing performance. But at the same time, like not even the heights of Masha-ness. Because part of Masha's thing is like being just fucking, you know, insane ball of energy fireball kind of thing. Um, and she couldn't even go all out with some of it because, you know. You know, De- Debbie Malenko is not going to keep up with her. But yeah, no, definitely. I would say maybe a hot take, but not a hot take to me. Uh, present company excluded, but maybe other people would be like, "What the fuck are you talking about? You got, you got Mike Bailey on here. You've got uh, you know Vinny Massaro. <laughs> you got AJ Gray. You got Bandito. You've got you know the real heavy hitters of uh, of oh we've got Minoru Suzuki, always a uh, crowd favorite. Um, here's my hot take. Um. I look into the crowd, I see the, the people in, in the stands in here, and I see a lot of familiar faces of people who used to come down to PWG shows. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I will say that I'm happy that West Coast you know, Pro Wrestling exists so that the Bay Area has its own uh, super indie. Um, if only for it being helping with the carbon footprint and reducing the travel so that all of those people aren't coming down to California or to Los Angeles... Um, to go to shows. So I'm going to say that for helping the environment, I have to give a thumbs up to, to West Coast Pro for getting fans to stay in, in their scene and not have to come to L.A. Because it's a long trip. Uh, people think it's all California, so it must be close. But it's it's pretty far. Um, so I will say uh, there's a plus there. I liked the opening match quite a bit. I'll start with that. Um, I thought that A.J. Gray looked better here than I've seen him in a while. He's just having a beefy brawler match. Levi Shapiro's just coming back from being out. They kept it pretty simple, but uh, I thought that they kicked the shit out of each other. Everything looked fucking brutal and violent. Um, they're doing a little bit of a weird thing with AJ where it's like he's kind of turning babyface now that he's not champion anymore, uh, but he's not 100% back with the crowd behind him yet. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that this was fun. Um, Quentin, if you have thoughts on this or if you want to move forward, feel free. Oh, this is... Well, this I think this is my second favorite match on the show. Sure, um, okay, I'm with you. Yeah, I liked I liked it a lot. I like uh, wasn't any, wasn't reinventing the wheel or anything, but it was two guys just going out there and beating the shit out of each other, and it was awesome in my opinion. I didn't think it was amazing or that I loved it, but I also didn't think this was a particularly great show. Um, right. West Coast Pro kind of feels like MLWE to me, like where they have all these big names on the show and on paper it looks great but then for the most part i watched the matches and it maybe it's in part to like the people they push on these shows but i come around like i come i leave away like man like i didn't really feel like this person worked particularly hard on this on this on this show or that they were really trying to have a great match on this show like we have something like ach versus speedball and then there's nothing even close to it and right. again, it might just be the guys they're pushing. It might just be the guys they're using. But I don't know. That's kind of been my general thought with, with these West Coast Pro shows is that they feel big, but then you actually watch them. And like, if I'm not watching it live and I'm watching it after the fact and I'm watching the VOD, I'm like, oh, I mean, okay, all right, I guess that's cool that Minoru Suzuki, Yuji Nagata, and Davey and AJ Gray and Bandito and Fatu are all on the card. But then it's like, Nothing. None of them really left me with anything. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the problem there. They, I think they have some local talent that they could work with better. They could focus on more, um, but they're kind of doing a little bit too many imports, and uh, and like you said, like featuring them in a way that's not really helping the like them look any better and, and all that. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have a single match on the show that goes over three stars. Like, I don't have a single match that breaks three stars. Like, I cap out at two and three quarter. Like, that's... So, yeah, it's like everything is fine. <laughs> There's nothing amazing. Um, so, yeah, like I said, love the... Op- I, I really enjoyed the opener. I thought that it was like... I'm with you, probably second best match on the night. Um, the trios match after that was fine. Whatever. You know, there were some good spots. And I thought they everyone looked good. Um, I, ta- I talked up Zoe a ton in the past, but it just didn't, he didn't have anything to show here. Uh, um, Vinny, Vinny, yeah, I don't got anything here. Uh, the, who did Vinny, yeah. Vinny Massaro face? Vinny versus Massaro versus Akira. Um, I was, oh, yeah, yeah, I was hoping for a lot more from this, but we got very little of it. The I've finish, seen Akira actually, oh, go ahead. Like the, Vinny's finishes or the finish he used here was cool as shit. Like, but other than, but other yeah, than yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, Vinny's, the finish there looked good. Some of the babyface selling and getting the crowd behind him, Vinny did well. Um, I would have, I would have liked, I've seen Akira do like a grappling kind of MMA style match in the past with uh, Cole Radrick and he was actually not terrible at it. I was hoping we would get a little bit more of that, but it felt like maybe Vinny just wasn't aware, uh, that, that Akira could do that kind of thing. So that he just never did any of it. Um, so yeah, just nothing there. Um, tag team match, West Coast Wrecking Crew and, and Reno Scum. I mean, fine. Nothing great there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Thoughts? No. No, I mean, uh, Adam Thorsto is such an interesting guy. Whenever I whenever I see him in these tags, because like I know that he might not like have like the I guess the I guess the it, it factor that Cobb might, but it's so weird to see Cobb and then like see like Thorsto all he ever accomplished is being like a t- was being like a TNA guy for a cup of coffee. Yeah, I mean, there was I think that by the time they were even getting any heat in TNA, it was like. Uh, pandemic hit or something weird happened and basically that fell apart really fast so yeah i'm with you um bailey and titus this is where i think that me and you disagree um not a ton but i saw you say i don't think titus has done does anything well and i think that titus is actually a good bully heel kind of character i think that when he's working on top and being a piece of shit he's really good i think he needs to stop doing so fucking much he needs to stop trying to just do cool spots just to do them i think that he like so his cuts off he does some nice little cutoffs where it's like a mix of of like like i said just being a piece of shit taking shortcuts but also staying within the rules there's like a nice leg trip cutoff that he does while speedball's hung on the ropes that i thought looked great i thought him hucking speedball into the chairs looked good i thought that yeah him when he if he slowed it down and worked more as a bully and just was domineering over speedball more um i think that he'd be great being super disrespectful cocky arrogant all that he's good at all that but like i said then he has to do moves and do a bunch of high flying and do a bunch of fucking you know trading back and forth and none of that shit works like this guy needs to just be a big time badass a big bully cut people off hit big strikes one or two of them hit maybe one or two moves he used to 
I said this in the Slack before even you watched the match, but he used to be worse. He used to do even more bullshit. He does even less now. But I thought even, like, the way that he cut off the Flamingo driver was good. Um, like, just grabbing the eyes, ra- grabbing at the face to cut off the- to stop the Flamingo driver was perfect. But then the reason why it fails is he follows it up with a bunch of bullshit. He does way too much to finish it off. Um, and, yeah, so... I, I think that there's something there with Titus. I think that he's naturally very good as a heel. I think that he just needs to stop. Like, I know it's exciting. You're finally getting to be a wrestler. You've been watching your dad wrestle since you were a kid. And you get to go out there and you want to do all the high spots. It's kind of the Nick Wayne thing where it's so weird because you're like, I know that your dad was like a smart wrestler who didn't do a ton of sh- bullshit. Why are you out here trying to emulate fucking Will Ospreay and do all this shit? Um... But, uh, but yeah, if he, if he would just fucking calm it down, I think you, there actually is something there. And there's not a ton of people who play this role. There's not a ton of people who are really good heels like this. Um, he, see, he, he, he looks the part. That's the thing. He looks the part. And, like, in certain spots, you see, like, you can kind of see, like, the, like the dickhead jock energy. But it's because he still wants to be the guy that everyone's talking about at the, at the end of the night. Like, yeah. that's just the kind of style he works where it feels like if he – relaxed just a little bit and went more for work like working like working towards the crowd and getting more heat like he, he's much better off and like i'm dreading that fucking him and osprey match for yeah i'm, I'm dreading that oh Jesus. god damn it yeah i was almost like that could be fun but yeah that's gonna be dog shit like titus Alexander does not need to do the lethal injection that was like one of the stupid that move is already fucking stupid but this kind of wrestler that he is does not need to be doing that fucking move. So, yeah. Anyways, Quentin, give, give me your thoughts there. I feel like you kind of did. But, yeah, yeah. Again, I just I feel like we disagree uh, a little bit because he said he can't do anything good. And I'm just like, I think he can. I mean, yeah, I just didn't think he was very, very interesting in control. Like, that's just that's just me there. I didn't I, I didn't feel like he was very interesting. Um, And I feel like if you can't be interesting being in control versus Mike Bailey, then, like, you have some things that you need to work on as a wrestler. And... He just didn't grab me at all. Athletically, he's there. He can do the spots fine. But for what he's trying to do, I just don't feel like he, like, the aggression isn't there for me. Like, the, like, talking shit to the crowd isn't there for me. The talking shit in the ring isn't there for me. The body language isn't there for me. Like, it's just all super inconsistent or largely not there when it comes to Tyus Alexander and it comes to, when it comes to his heel work. And I don't think he's like good enough at the spots he's doing to like make up for the complete lack of personality that I, that I often feel from him. So like, I, I guess I can see, I can see your point and I don't think there's like nothing there. I feel like there's room for improvement. It just feels like that's not really what he's focused on right now. That's fair. If you don't buy into it, you don't like it when he's doing that stuff. I can definitely see not seeing anything there. Um, But yeah, either way, moving on. Nagata Davy, this was actually pretty solid, but you know nothing great. Um, decent Davy work, uh, but it was just all Davy, and then just Nagata just wins. It just really felt like Nagata sold and was being super cheesy and over the top and doing all that. But yeah, like this match. Okay, <laughs> all right, this match. While I shouldn't even take the time to really get into this, it did. As watching it, I had a bit of a like existential dread weird thing just thinking about Davey and how Davey Brain has just like ruined this guy from being as good of a wrestler as he really could have been because I watch him in something like this 
And I know that people love the like dumb jock Davy thing, but I'm watching how good he really is. And if he just didn't have the wor- the really bad habits of the Davy brain that caused him to like just go over the top constantly and just be just too much. Like he if he was able to tone it down and not do so much, he could have and like really want to have like dramatic matches and not only fireworks. Like Davy Richards could have been one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Um, but no, because... I, I, like and like people are gonna hear that and they're gonna think you're insane. But like, I don't know how you could like look at Davy mechanically as a wrestler. Look at the intensity and snap and what she does things. Like the talent is there. It literally is just comes down to Davy's brain and like how he how he thinks wrestling should work. That's the yeah. only thing that's the problem. Yeah. No. And that was it. Like, cause this match was just a, a showcase of Davy really on his best behavior. And it oh, was he, just was like, on, he was he was on such good behavior in this yeah. match. And it was just like, holy shit, this guy could have been so fucking good. Because if you had him at his physical peak and he was acting like this all the time, like you could have had, you could have really had, this guy could have really had something. Either way, like I said, we're trying to rush through and I'm taking too long on Davey versus Nagata. But do you have anything else to say? Uh, No, just Davey on his best behavior, bumping for Nagata like crazy. It's a lot, man. <laughs> like it just... I, I liked it because you like like you compare that to like some of the other Davy return matches we've gotten versus like Blackwood or or AJ Gray or even Daniel Garcia and you look at Davy here and it's not like Davy is like I think like going crazy or doing whatever in these matches I think that this is still a mature like like we've largely we've largely gotten a very mature version of Davy since he's since his return but even this was like wow Davy is like making sure he shows the utmost respect to Nagata. Yeah, no, he's being he's being a good boy here. Um, feel free to give any thoughts you have on uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Blackwood. I'll just say like uh, the Kevin Blackwood fucking sucks. That's... I was I was just gonna say the uh, the West Coast Pro money mark must be good because Suzuki's actually putting in effort. But other than that, there's not much to 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 say. And then uh, you know from there, let's hear uh, I guess let's hear some more on your breakdown of uh, Malenko versus uh, Slamovich. Uh not really much of a breakdown there. Obviously, Masha's in there with Debbie, and Debbie was fine, but clearly Debbie's older and like is 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 a little limited in what she can do in the ring. So there was moments of clunkiness, at least in the beginning with the feeling out process or whatever. But like Masha's intensity and her leg selling throughout the match, I thought easily had easily she wound up having the best performance on on the show just because of that. Cause she really felt like she was working hard and that she wanted to be there and that she had like something she wanted to accomplish. She felt like she had a story in mind, something in mind that she wanted to tell and go for. And that even if the match was a little clunky, just based on certain limitations that she still went for that shit and mostly, and mostly nailed it on an individual, on an individual performance level. So I loved watching my, I loved watching Masha here. I thought she worked super hard. I thought she tried her best to keep a match like this together. And while like, I don't think Masha is a person that can carry people necessarily in the same way that like, I think like a Nicole Matthews or a Nicole Savoy or like Deanna Perrazzo can. I think that Masha has that innate ability to make something interesting that most wrestlers don't have where you see Masha versus W. Malenko. You're like, this could be either really interesting or a train wreck. And we got the really interesting, good version of it, at least from Masha and her performance. Yeah, I mean Debbie. Debbie here looks solid and obviously very technically sound and and knows the way around the ring. And it's the kind of thing that really pisses me off. 
Um, and you know what? I don't know her personal life. I don't know her situation. I don't know anything. I know that she showed up on a wrestling observer, did like some interview. And then a couple months later was like, had the itch to get back into wrestling. Um, I know that she's from Northern California. Dave is from up there too. And I know that at some point after Debbie did that interview with Dave a while back, Dave got divorced. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying anything. I'm not making any in, in, you know, insinuations, but it's interesting. Debbie's interested in wrestling again. Um, no, she probably just got the bug. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously kidding about all that, but what pisses me off is that women's wrestling had a boom period in the, you know, eighties and the nineties. And there was female wrestlers like, you know, everyone in Japan, but then also someone like Debbie Malenko who just like disappeared and left wrestling and women's wrestling had to rebuild. And like, we're finally starting to kind of rebuild again, but it's like, if she had like passed down her knowledge a little bit more on the indie scenes into women's wrestling, you know, but it just seems like that's what happened repeatedly for the women's wrestling scene in America is like, you know, the Mildred Burke era, there was like, there was something going on and then like everyone just disappeared. And then like, okay. Then like the eighties, there was like something again. And then they just all disappear. And they don't at the same time, like the territory, the territories were dying. So like that, like, so that kind of thing became like less feasible and everything eventually because like because of the eventual death of the territories people a lot of people went to japan and then in the 90s as more like i guess like independent promotions are popping up it's not like women's wrestling is being treated with like the most respect or even like is around in like uswa and sm and uh smoky and smoky mountain or whatever else like so the boom was there and then eventually the territories die and then like the U and then like the non WCW in WWE alternatives weren't necessarily looking to push women's wrestling either. So yeah, it's like a whole, it's, it's like a really big domino effect. I get what you're getting at, but like, there's probably like a whole bunch of factors that like led to something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to, I think that I unfortunately was, was coming at that a little bit wrong in the beginning and it may have even come across worse than I meant to that. I'm like blaming the individual individual wrestlers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm for, not, sure, for sure. I'm saying like, yeah, the scene kept crashing. And so that like institutional knowledge kept having to be rebuilt, you know? And that's why women's wrestling has had such a hard time because every time you actually get something going, it falls apart and it crashes. And, and it's like the first thing to get cut, you know, when the, when the wrestling industry is not thriving and it's not healthy, the first thing that they cut is the women's wrestling. They're like, ah, you know, this is like, you know, freak show. This is gimmick, whatever. This is extra. This is side. So just drop it. It's not drawing money. And then, yeah, that the institutional knowledge drops either way. Um, the Masha thing, like you're saying, great work and not just that it was great to watch, but it's really smart working because as I was talking earlier that we didn't get Masha turned up to 10 or 11, like she normally does. It also kind of makes sense that like, She's selling the legs, so she slowed down. So it's almost like really smart working wrestling to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to go at 100% with, you know, Debbie Malenko because she can't keep up with me. So I'm going to work around selling my leg and make it make sense why I'm not going 100%. So kind of perfect. And I get exactly what you're saying. Masha is not the kind of worker who can make somebody else, but she's definitely the kind of worker who can, like, make herself. (laughs) You know, she can always get over and be entertaining for herself. Um, and, but she's just not at that level where she can carry somebody and make them look good. Um, follow this up main event, West coast pro wrestling championship match, Fatu versus bandito. I thought that this was kind of not a great match coming through because, uh, our setup because like bandito really only works as a, a baby face and you've got Fatu here who 
I talked about it. it should be the biggest babyface in West Coast Pro Wrestling. He's the babyface of the Bay. Um, he's the you know the Bay's superstar. So it doesn't make any sense to set something up like this, really, to me. Um, the match itself, I mean, fuck, <laughs> like, fuck, it's fucking wild to watch. The crowd is like split, fifty-fifty, chanting for both guys. Fatu doing the the opening standoff, high flying bits with the kip up. You know everything with Bandito is crazy because motherfucker Fatu looks like he's just, twice his size. It's, yeah, it's, it's insane. Yeah, Fatu, what he can do is like Jesus Christ, especially as a baby face now, because now he's not like at least in West Coast Pro. Now he can like show off a little bit more, and he was he was still doing his he was still getting his high flying spots in an MLW and like during during the heel uh, doing the heel run with the uh, uh, well, I forgot what his tag team part his name is, but yeah. Like, Seeing him as a baby face is just like Jesus Christ. Why? Why can? Why can you do this so easily? <laughs> yeah, no, it's nuts, and it's crazy because I've you know, I've, you know, take a drink if we've heard me t- mention this before. But I saw Fatu when he was getting trained, and I was like, you know, when I started seeing the stuff that he was doing in MLW, I was like, oh, it's caught up to him already. Like he's already slowing down, and he probably can't keep it up. But it makes sense. He's a big motherfucker. Like. And he doesn't need to be flying around and doing... But when I would see him early on, like, he was such a great high flyer and all over the place that I didn't even notice how big he was back then. Um, but then, now I see him getting right back to it. I'm like, oh shit, like, he hasn't missed a step. He's just not been doing it because he's a heel. And he gets out there and, oh my god. And then now you realize just how... I, I'm starting to realize just how fucking big he was, which is crazy to think about. Because uh, he's fucking gigantic. Like I said, he's keeping up with Bandito. He's twice his size. He's snapping off insane fucking ranas and moonsaults and everything. This motherfucker is everything. And as I talked about, like, the promo, <laughs> like, that's the real thing. The match itself, whatever. Like, I think I gave this match two stars. It's fine. Um, th- there's some stuff that's, like, a little bit goofy. I think, yeah, babyface, babyface situation really hurt this match. Um I thought that Fatu crumpling onto his knee, like from his knee, but then instantly flipping out of a a, a a move and then setting up into the, or yeah, he instantly flips out of the 21 plex and hits the, the win out of nowhere with the, uh, with tons of big moves and a moonsault just felt a little bit like, I don't know, kind of bullshit, but whatever, especially cause he's supposed to be a baby face. So I don't think I'm supposed to think that he was faking it. Right when he crumpled with his knee being messed up, I don't think that I'm gonna think that the babyface was like, you know, trying to psych out Bandito, right? Um, so yeah, I just thought that that was like not great. But that shit doesn't matter because what matters is the post match, right? I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say about the match? Uh, Jacob Fatu being able to do the best moonsault ever, and Bandito able to being able to like gorilla press. Fatsu were absolute insanity. I love this for like it was a whack, it was a wacky, crazy dream match spot fest thing. I thought it was fun. Send the crowd home happy, two baby faces, and they just went out there and like did cool shit. From that respect, I got no I have no problem with it at all. And like of the down this their stuff down the stretch was actually like really, really good. And yeah, I'm still I'm still in awe of that uh Fatsu moonsault. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna downplay the 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 athleticism of it, and I bet in the building this is some fucking wild shit um, to watch happen. But yeah, for me, I'm just again, it's like babyface, babyface. I'm not getting any drama. I talked about it earlier when I was talking about the Dustin Punk match. You know what I mean? That's what I'm looking for. But insanely impressed, and I just think that yeah, like if you could get Fatu against a heel doing something like this, then you it, it would be even better. Um, but 
the post-match promo for me is where it's at. Fatu is so fucking perfect. Puts over Bandito. <laughs> the first the first motherfucking thing that Fatu says is, if you're in the crowd and you're feeling yourself, let me hear you say, let me hear you. Which is just like the perfect fucking Bay Area <laughs> bullshit to say. If you're feeling yourself. That's his, that's his call out <laughs> to the crowd. Like, all right, all right. Um, and yeah, they're talking about that he missed his brother's wedding to be here tonight, cause, but his brother just knows that this is what he does. And it's kind of like, Okay, your dad was the Tonga kid. I'm sure your brother understands wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, like that was nuts. Um, I was reminded that uh, I think that Journey Fatu filled in for Jacob on uh, on the the uh, GCW show that was in the Bay like a week or maybe around the same time as this show. Um, and I think it was Eric actually from Sukunda Kaeda, who I love and think he's great, but. He, on his road report from it, he said like, oh, Journey kept up and was just as good as Jacob. And I'm like, I, I don't think that that's even possible. I don't think that there's very many people who are just as good as Jacob. <laughs> like it could just be an easy replacement. But yeah, the post-match promo, that's the shit. The, the crowd sent home happy because they've got their fucking, the Bay Area Superman and Jacob Fatu. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that, that was a great way to close it out. But uh, again, Quentin, we've gone like two hours. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Final thoughts? Anything else you want to say before we, we hit the road? Uh, nah. I'm think I'm I think I'm good here. We talked we talked about a, a lot of news. Had our rants. Uh, did 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 I think we hit I think we hit everything pretty well. So I'm cool getting out of here now. All right, perfect. Um, yeah. What do you normally say, Quentin? I'm sorry, I forget what you say to. to <laughs> <laughs> uh, I usually I usually say uh, thank you all for listening, and I hope you're next time. There Oh Champs-Élysées, oh Champs-Élysées, au soleil, sous la pluie, à midi ou à minuit, il y a tout ce que vous voulez aux Champs-Élysées. Tu m'as dit j'ai rendez-vous dans un sous-sol avec des fous qui vivent la guitare à la main du soir au matin. Alors je t'ai accompagné. On a chanté, on a dansé, et l'on n'a même pas pensé à s'embrasser. Oh Champs-Élysées, oh Champs-Élysées, au soleil, sous la pluie, à midi ou à minuit, il y a tout ce que vous voulez aux Champs-Élysées. Deux inconnus et ce matin sur l'avenue, deux amoureux tout étourdis par la longue nuit. Et de l'étoile à la concorde, un orchestre a mis le corps. Tous les oiseaux du point du jour chantent l'amour. Oh Champs-Élysées, oh Champs-Élysées, au soleil, sous la pluie, à midi ou à minuit. Il y a tout ce que vous voulez aux Champs-Élysées. Oh Champs-Élysées. Oh Champs-Élysées. Au 
la pluie, à midi ou à minuit, il y a tout ce que vous voulez aux Champs-Élysées. Aux Champs-Élysées.